say thank you, fuck you, bye. Keep your jazz hands off my TV screen. thrill-packed episode of the Jim Cornette Experience. This week, for the first time ever, AEW partnered with the United States government, and every wrestler on the TV show was a member of the Federal Witness Protection Program. It's a who-dat edition of the Jim Cornette Experience. And to join me, Hawaiian Brian, the podcasting lion, the king of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network, Mr. Co-host to you, he's the guy that gives the snitches the stitches. The great Brian Last, everybody. Aloha, Jim. A pleasure to be here once again, although I'm a little concerned. You said you wanted to do kind of a Rocky Four version of this show today. Does that mean I'm Apollo? Who's Apollo? Well, no, I think we're going straight to Rocky Five oh. and tying the whole thing up. That didn't tie anything um, up. It kept going after that. <laughs> yeah, that's it's right. Still they, they, what, it's still going. And apparently in John Moxley's mind, it's still going, too. Um... We'll talk about that later on. Not Moxley's mind, but what's in it. We can't find his mind. Um, okay, I'm just going to say this. I've been hit with an onslaught of news because since I talked to you last, since we recorded last, no, no pun intended, the last time we recorded with last was three days ago. I was losing my voice anyway because we went about five hours. And the pollen is horrible. The other day, the WDRB weatherman here came on the air. He's wearing glasses. He doesn't usually wear glasses. But he said, that's right, folks. I got the glasses on. I woke up yesterday morning, and my right eye was swollen shut. So it's pollen season. Well, also, there's eye drops that are killing people right now, aren't there? Well, I, well, I, we've talked about this. I wouldn't know about that anyway, because I can't put drops in my eyes. That's fucking barbaric and some kind of biblical punishment, medieval type of shit that will not be perpetrated by me ever or anyone on me. When I go to the eye doctor, I haven't been in 10 or 12 years. I've had that on my to-do list. They got to have some other person with both hands hold my eyes open so they can put a drop in my eye. Because <laughs> I, can't, I can't do it. It's like clockwork orange with you. Well, and then I see orange and blue and green and all those. <laughs> what? But anyway, so I'm, I'm sounding rough today, and also if it sounds like I'm sitting on the wing of an airplane, the wind gusts today are up to 50 miles an hour, and I'm a nervous wreck because I've been sitting up here going, well, any, anything any harder sounds like it would cause some damage. So if I'm looking over my shoulder every once in a while, Monday morning it was 16 degrees, Thursday it was 75 Yesterday, it rained two to three inches, depending on your location, and now it's going to be 65 degrees, bright sun, and 50-mile-an-hour winds. So all the pollen is out, and the things are... We're getting an early spring bud, which I always enjoy, but not at the cost of constant, severe weather. But nevertheless, I spent three days in blissful ignorance of what was going on on the outside world because I've been... Finally, moving stuff back into our new rooms that we had remodeled and cleaning where that stuff was sitting for the past eight months. And I'm moving stuff around in the vault and in my office, preparing in two weeks. I'm having the big 
attic spray foam insulation project going on. I've, I've fallen in love with spray foam insulation. We got it in the new rooms, and holy mackerel, it's like sitting in a styrofoam cooler. The hot stays hot, the cool stays cool. I'm having the attics done next. Uh, we got the big sale coming up April 8th that we'll talk about here in a little while. I've been reorganizing the garage, awaiting the giant shipment of action figures that's coming in. And in the middle of all that, I've been writing copy for a very exciting summer project that I'm going to be talking to the folks about later on this year. And I didn't pay a goddamn lick of attention to the wrestling programs or get on the telephone with anybody, or really do anything except retweet our various clips on the YouTube channel. And then I decided I'm going to catch up on everything all at the same time. And boy, howdy, between the AEW Night of a Hundred Stars and the fucking latest fiasco going on with their determined... The AEW Brain Trust <laughs> is determined to run their biggest star away from the company. And then I watch Smack and I hear about Bray Wyatt. Apparently, now he's absconded, possibly, you know, never to be seen again. What? And he uh, apparently he's off WrestleMania, right? Well, yeah, we knew that, but I thought you said something else happened in the last few days. Well, I mean, he no showed Madison Square Garden. And he's off of WrestleMania, and I have an email here that may shed some light on it, but all these things going on, and, and SmackDown rolled right along with no earth-shaking developments because they already shook the earth last week. But uh, I, had to, I had to bone up on all this stuff all at the same time. Is there anything I missed? I don't know. Well, thank you. <laughs> yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know. I think you got it all, the big stuff. Um, oh, have, have the people, have the people missed out on any more of our programs? Have our technical difficulties been straightened out? We said on the drive-thru, your program a few days ago, we informed the people that after we had, we'd done some butt stuff with the back end. That's not what we said and that's not what we did. Well, and then, and then things changed to where that some people couldn't fast forward and rewind and various things, and we were working to solve that. But you told them better than I just did. Well, there's the truth, that, that part right there. Yes, and I think we've kind of got everything fixed. Uh, it should be in effect for everyone, if not right now, tomorrow, whenever you hear this. I mean, it's all done. <laughs> but if anyone else is having a problem, maybe uh, re-download the episode. But I think we've got everything taken care of. And for those of you who have previously been listening on the Omni platform, going forward, at least as of this moment, we will not be on that platform any longer. They tore the Omni down years ago in Atlanta. That's right. We are now in the big building. The Phillips Arena. Just look up philipsarena.com Jim Cornette Experience. Don't look that up at all. Do not look that up. No one should be having problems with the streaming any longer. If you are, uh, please uh, get in touch with Lou Kippelman. Thank you. And that Lou Kippelman's email address is lou at fucksyou.com. There you go. There you go. Is that? Is <laughs> That's the email address. Yes, it is. You almost threw your body in between Kippelman and the angry complainers out there. Kippelman is a, a fine man who loves to have people complain to him about things beyond his control. Raw rolls on. Okay. Well, hey, I'm, I'm, 
I'm in charge of the, the, the fornication of this canine, pal. You just hold its head. I got well, Stephen in my headset yelling, raw rolls on, raw rolls on. <laughs> that's actually a horrible transition because I was going to recognize some sad things that have taken. So w- again, we'll do that. Maybe we'll make Don't. Alexi famous like Reggie. No, I got an email. I wanted to read this a week or two ago. Uh, this is from, well, this is about two weeks ago. Uh, hello, Jim and Brian. My name is Adam from Valdosta, Georgia. And I've lost my best friend of 12 years, Alexi. She was the best dog anyone could ask for. She was a pit bull basset hound mix. That must have been interesting. For the past year, she'd been fighting pancreatitis, and the veterinarians gave her two months to live, but my wife and I were lucky enough to have her for just over nine months. Oh, that's good. And this is what touched me. I don't know if I'll ever be the same without hearing her bark or feeling her wet tongue touch my cheek. She was the best four-legged Atlanta Braves fan there ever was, and her sister Lady is around, but is sad to see her only sister she's ever known go to the Rainbow Bridge. So thank you for appreciating all the dogs that have made their way to the bridge on your programs. And I wanted to, Adam, we're sorry about Alexi, but she sounded like she had a great life. Um, And maybe she'll discover the Mets in the afterlife. Oh, come on. Braves. I don't want to hear about the Braves. Well, he, he, she was a Southern dog. The Mets were on WOR. Well, forget it. We can move on. Yeah. The Mets were on WOR. Hoor. <laughs> and I got a letter from what? It should have been WHOR. And then, boy, howdy, they could have done some promotions. Anyway, I also got a letter from, uh, I won't, I won't give his last name, but Doug in Radcliffe, Kentucky, right down the road here from me, because he had emailed a few months ago. I think I read this on the air about his brother, Dave, who had passed away after a battle with cancer. And Doug was having the task of going through Dave's collection. He was a big wrestling fan and, and loved collecting memorabilia in general. And, and, Doug's a big fan too, but not to the extent that that Dave was. And Doug sent me not only one of the old Norm Keitzer programs, uh, autographed by Gorilla Monsoon, one of the old oh, WWF wow. programs, but also the big oversized uh, Treasury Edition size Superman versus Muhammad Ali comic book. Uh, because he said, I know he would want these things to go to people who would love this stuff, and I can think of nobody better to send it to. And I've written, this was actually a letter that he wrote, not an email, along with the package, and I've written Doug back to thank him for that. But I would, again, you know, what a nice gesture. Normally when somebody, you know, sends me something like that, I send them something back, but in this case he's trying to, you know, disseminate things rather than, trade him for different shit. So I sent him a letter thanking him, but I wanted to recognize him for that. And also Stuart, I won't give your last name in case you got neighbors, but Stuart, I know you from moose factory, Ontario, Canada. He's I've, I've seen Stuart. I think he's been a customer at Cornette's collectibles. I've seen his name on Twitter, but I want to send birthday greetings to Stuart's grandfather, Robbie. Also from Moose Factory, Ontario, Canada, who is turning 103 years old. What about that? They, there must be something in the water 
in Moose Factory, Ontario, Canada. Maybe Moose Piss. I doubt that. Well, now, how do you have you done a scientific study on whether Moose Piss drinking, consuming in some way Moose Piss would enhance or elongate your life? I have not, but that was not the first option my mind went to as a possible cause of this. So because of well, that, I don't think it's the most likely source, as you put it. You think it could be moose poop? Because it's probably in the water up there. You're assuming that there are still moose in the area. Well, a place is named Moose Factory. So? Even, even if some of them left, they apparently make more. You can name... There'd always be some around. There's no guarantee of that. What? what they don't make... Hold on one second. American Heritage Dictionary, third edition. F, factory, factory, factory. What'd you say the name was? Moose? Moose Factory, factory Canada. Ontario, Canada. Don't. Oh, let me not leave don't out leave Ontario. Out Ontario. Make sure they're incriminated. See, in I'm, I'm passing fallacious. Yeah. Uh, hold on, fabricate. Moose Factory Island is an island in the Moose River, <laughs> Ontario, Canada. About 16 kilometers from its mouth at James Bay. It is adjacent to the community of Moosinee. <laughs> See? Across the Moose River, from which, it, <laughs> from which it is accessible by water taxi. They're goddamn infested with meese. No wonder it's because it's a factory. A factory, a building or group of buildings in which goods are manufactured. So the whole town makes moose, meese. The island is the home to the community of Moose Factory. This town is associated with the entire island. But politically, the island is divided into two entities. Factory Island 1, Indian Reserve, that makes up the northern two-thirds of the island, beginning to the Moose Cree First Nation, and the unorganized North Cochrane District, an unincorporated southern third, home to the historic Hudson Bay Corp. Nothing about Moose being there. Well, wait a minute, but hold on back. Uh, the political parties, what... But what does that mean? Does that mean that one group is pro-moose and one group is anti-moose? Moose Factory Island which, is which part are of the, Are the Indians, I guess, are for the meese and the, the white man, the evil white man that speaks with forked tongue, is, is against the meese? That's the way it usually works out, right? Moose Factory Island is part of the poorly drained, sparsely forested Hudson what? Bay Lowlands. Poorly drained? <laughs> Sounds wonderful. Poorly <laughs> 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 How much is real estate there? I'm looking to buy. I've never heard of a place. The leading, uh, the leading description is poorly drained. If I click Moose Factory itself... Uh, here's the climate, here's the economy, the political organization, attractions, and tourism. Tourism. They're, they're big on politics up there in, in Moose Factory. Healthcare. Across the Moose River. Educate. There's nothing about any actual... Meese? Meese in Moose Factory. Well, they've got to have it. Somebody up there needs to tell us. They have some notable residents, including former NHL hockey player Jonathan Chichu. Chichu? Also... Uh, C Did he cheat you? C-H-E-E-C-H-O-O. -E -E <laughs> Pardon me, boy. Is that the hockey player named Chichu? The actress, writer, producer, director, and visual artist Shirley Chichu was what? raised in Moose Factory. Wait a minute. Is there's only one last name. None of their family trees branch. There's only one last name in fucking Moose Factory. And finally, 
In terms of notable residents, the sculptor Dwayne Linklater was born Chichu. in Moose Factory. <laughs> Linklater was his middle name, but he... All righty then. Well, is that the only, the only famous people from Moose Factory and those are the famous people? It sounds like the AEW roster. They wanted a who's who of wrestling. They got a who's that of wrestling. It's that drainage. Once you have drainage issues, I mean, that did it for the Romans. Yeah. Well, there you go. And I'll tell you what, my cousin had horrible drainage too. He had to have his nose operated on three or four times. All right, we've got an update also, an email on, uh, I want to run through this real quick, but we've said, my God, when we're watching Raw, that it just, the entrances take forever and the the malingering of everything to the point where sometimes somebody will start to the ring for their match and the bell will ring for that match 12, 13, 14 minutes later, right? With all the things going on distracting. Well, this is a an email from John who was at the Monday Night Raw, uh, this well, it's almost a month ago now in Grand Rapids, three or four weeks, whatever it was. But you know me, I'm behind on emails. But he, would you like to hear his experience for how it looks as a live event to the people in the building if we think it's boring on television? How Monday Night Raw looks to the live audience. Yes. Yeah, I'd love to hear this. Well, dear Jim, I was at last night's Monday Night Raw in Grand Rapids. I wanted to let you know and, and Brian know that everything you complain about with the format and how the show is run overall is greatly multiplied in person. <laughs> My mom runs a behavior sciences or service behavior science, a behavior services company for people with various mental disabilities, and many of them are wrestling fans. There's a, probably a line there somewhere. So every so often, if there's a show reasonably close, she'll rent a bus and take the clients and staff to the wrestling show. Well, that's nice. What none of them including my mom knew, was that this was going to be three hours with maybe 30 minutes of wrestling. The first thing to note is the show was legitimately a full house, very few empty seats, everyone stayed till the main event. That's where the praise ends. And that is amazing when you think of it, that people now are paying these incredible prices, Brian, to go to a show that... 30 years ago, if they'd seen the same show, they would have run screaming to the goddamn box office to ask for their 8 or $10 back because it was so fucking boring and they sat there and watched it and nothing happened. But anyway, um, here that's where the praise ends, John continues. And uh, apparently John was using that it's not spell check, but it's like it it anticipates the word you're trying to type. Autocorrect. Okay, whatever, because his next sentence was supposed to say, this venue had no other screens to watch any packages or backstage interviews. But what the line says is, this venue had no other screens to watch any packages or bastard interviews. <laughs> <laughs> What's he trying to say? <laughs> <laughs> Aside from the entrance way that played the wrestler's entrance video, and unless you were seated directly across from said screen under the WrestleMania sign, you couldn't see most, if any, of the screen. When the Street Profits challenged Solo and Jimmy Uso, they made both teams wait in the ring staring at each other for three minutes while commercials played, some of which were played in the fucking arena. 
It felt so long that fans started to chant, start the match, which is why there was a big pop when it finally came back from commercial. To buy time during commercials and try to appease fans, WWE decided the best thing to do was several fan cam segments, such as DX cam, which was fans doing DX impressions and showing their signs. And when the announcer is reading signs to fill time, you know something is wrong. Again, 30 years ago, Vince McMahon would have had a conniption fit if the live audience in the building was sitting there on their hands staring. I mean, yeah, there were tape changes in those days due to, you know, production standards of the time and, you know, and delays that you couldn't help if a fucking lighting fuse went out. But I mean, when everything's technically working, he didn't want any dead time. Anyway. Uh, the other issue that showed up near the end of the show was the main event. We were told near the beginning, the main event was Theory versus Rollins for the U.S. title in a street fight. Wasn't the match I wanted to see Rollins and Theory in, but I'd take what I can get at this point. Well, at 10.45, Becky and Lita come out for the women's tag title match. I started to clock watch thinking there's no way they're going to have both the matches in 15 minutes. Turns out the answer was no, since Theory and Rollins were the post-show and nobody in the arena knew. There was no announcement of the women's tag being the main event, so myself and one of my mom's staff who barely knows wrestling were confused as she asked me, isn't there supposed to be another match? <laughs> and five minutes into the tag, my mom texts me, why are the girls going this long? Um, all in all, the clients had fun since they were simply happy to be a show at, a, at, at a show again, but the rest of us who were either barely fans or a hardcore fan like myself felt incredibly disappointed. My mom and I have gone to mania several times, and even those six-hour extravaganzas never felt this long. Is it just now that the fans know, Brian, that they're they're buying a ticket to go and sit in the audience of like a television talk show or game show or whatever, and it's not like going to see an actual wrestling show anymore? You don't know if it's your first time going. But I mean, for the ones who still want to go back. I guess you have they're, to come to They're selling expect tickets. It. They're selling tickets. They're filling the buildings up. You know, it says something, and this is, I guess, exclusive to WWE because AEW just runs through stuff through commercials and everything. It's a, WWE does it in a weird way that I'm sure the network likes it. Yes. But it's every, every Everything that's laid out in their program is to milk people's attention to commercials and advertising and spots, not to keep them into the wrestling matches but so the network loves it so the network loves it but it makes it a hard show to watch but with wwe you see those audiences and at times they're silent if that's the way you're treating your live audience it's no wonder they're silent you're putting them yeah. in, a, in a zone to be silent which is different than if there's nonstop action and they're just sitting there and they're silent well and but the thing is as we've seen the overlap of that is even when they get action a lot of times they're still silent because then they've they're like, please give us a match, give us a match. And then the match is Otis versus Mansois or Minaj or whatever his fucking, and they're like, ah, oh, shit. And, and it then goes, they're sitting there again. And it goes three minutes. Yeah. But then, and th but then now they know, well, shit, that was our match. We probably ain't going to get another match for 20 or 30 minutes. 
And so no wonder they they pop on, is it a self-fulfilling prophecy? They pop on the entrances of the big stars, even if they're doing promos or just walking out, because at least we know who these motherfuckers are and we want to see them. See them do something. Come in and take a shit at this point. WWE were pioneers in terms of piping in crowd noise, going back to the 80s. What do you think is worse for crowd energy? A taping like this, and this is what they've been doing for a while now, or those big TV tapings in the 80s where they taped like five hours, you know, four hours of TV and then another hour of dark matches, and the people just had to sit there for like 40 matches? Yeah, well, the, the smart fans in those days complained about those. But the average fan loved it because you saw everybody sometimes two or three times and it, everything kept moving and it was basically, except for a, a, an occasional angle or dark match, it was all squashes, but you were seeing all the big stars doing all the shit they knew to some poor fucking crash test dummy and they were out in three or four minutes. So, And especially because of the kids' audience at that time period Honestly, in those days, and I got in on the tail end of those things, those tapings were worse on the fucking talent than the fans. At least there was always something going on in front of the fans. The fucking talent, when you got there at noon and you left the building at 1230 the next morning, it was fucking ludicrous. You got to see everyone's finisher, but you didn't get sick of it yeah. because it was it finished the match. <laughs> and then it well, would just yeah, go yeah. on to the next but, one. You know, but it kept, it, there was no... There were no 10-minute entrances. There were no 20-minute fucking promo segments. Even the tape changes. They used to, the fucking TV crew uh, attacked tape changes like the pit crew at the Indy 500 because Vince was, you know, pissed if they they had downtime. They had to technically doing all those different shows in one night. But if it was longer than necessary, he'd get hot. And that's, I used to do an old trick that I Crockett did in the days of uh, studio wrestling in various places on TV. They did this. I did it in OVW at, uh, at our TV tapings. In the days before you could, you were post-producing a television program because you didn't have the goddamn budget or the capability or whatever. You're shooting it live to tape. It was like a live program. But let's say... Crockett wanted to air the world title match between Flair and Dusty and the Omni, six or eight minutes of that with the commentators talking about it or whatever the fuck. You've got, instead of leaving your live audience in the venue, because you didn't have big screens then either, and you and they didn't come to that fucking show to watch goddamn television. They came to see wrestling. So he would put a dark match in, and I would do the same thing in uh, in OVW in our arena. While we were showing a VTR segment or something from a big show at the Gardens or whatever, there would be a, a match in the ring that was going on for the live crowd. And you remember in Mid-South Wrestling, Watts did that. Because you would hear, you'd hear it in the background. Yeah, You'd hear it in the background when you went to the announce desk. And that was a point that I made a few times on the OVW shows when you would hear bam, bam, bam in the ring while we're talking about what we just saw on tape, I'd say, and by the way, folks, a match in the ring we're not able to televise tonight. You can only see everything if you come down live to the Davis Arena on Wednesday nights, blah, blah, blah. But that way, you didn't kill your crowd sitting there with their dicks in their hands. 
and you gave them something to watch and they didn't know whether it was going to be on TV or not. And a lot of times I'd have goddamn the handheld camera guys shoot it anyway, act like they were shooting it so people couldn't fucking tell. But that, you know, that was in the days when you literally, if you were going to show a six minute VTR and you were coming out of a break and you were going to pitch to it and then go back to a break, you were, you were down for 10 or 11 minutes in the building. So from, from action. So that way you gave the people something to watch while you're rolling that stuff in for the television audience. And it, it's not to, again, I know now the rights fees and television and people will just look down their nose at the house show gate. But if they had 10,000 people in Grand Rapids, the they said the building was packed, or 10,000 people anywhere, just a round number, you can do math. And what are these fucking tickets these days? 50 bucks? More at ringside, less in general admission? Would it be a $50 average? Well, I don't know, because it's a lot more at ringside. You may, get, okay. you may get to walk away with your chair, but you're going to pay a ton for it. Okay, well, I'm, I mean, just any TV taping. I don't know if they do the collectible chairs. The point is, if you're doing... Three, four, five hundred thousand dollars gate for a live event, plus those people that came are gonna buy merchandise and they're gonna patronize the food and drink stand at the arena and make them happy. And they've already paid the arena parking, so they're happy. So everybody wants to do this again, the arena and the WWE and the fans. They all want to have another show if everybody's happy. So why do you piss the fucking people off with making them sit there and twiddle their fucking noodle uh, anyway there's there ought to be a way to serve both masters without having to just bore the shit out of your and that's if the audience in the stands is not going crazy on camera i know they can make it sound like it but they haven't been able to figure out a way to get the people to jump up and down and throw babies in the air on video yet when they're not so you'd think you'd want to keep them as engaged as possible that's one that's one thing AEW does. Those people, they got low standards. They love everything, but they're still engaged because they're not bored. Somebody's always on the verge of fucking accidental death. Go ahead. For one of these networks to end up thinking that this is a reasonable way to do it. You know, Fox has major sports. USA's part of NBC. NBC has made they do the Olympics. I mean, they do a lot of things. Has there been some kind of study? I know we don't know the answer. I'm just asking the hypothetical question. Has there been a study that says if you do a wrestling show where the action's in the ring and the announcer says, we'll be right back after this, stay with us, the action's going on, that people will tune out more than they would <laughs> if it's just out of nowhere, oh, and she's got a headlock. Looks like she's in pain. To black. And then it goes to commercial <laughs> and then it comes back at random times. Is there any actual evidence? that this is a better way to hold the audience than a traditional, well, the way they present their sporting event. They don't just in the middle of the at-bat say, we'll be right back, we don't know what's going to happen right now. They don't do that. Well, that Fox and USA, NBC, or whatever, they don't, I don't care what category it's in, they don't look at wrestling like their sports programming, so they don't give a shit how it's formatted as long as people watch it. And I guarantee you, they did. we did not do that in the 90s, in the Attitude Era. Um, and I guarantee you it's something that Vince either came up with or somebody pitched to Vince in such a way that he liked it that he, or he got a bug in his bonnet one day 
We'll be right back. What is that, man? We don't. We're we're not going anywhere. We want them to stay there and watch the commercial for pancakes or whatever the fuck. It's just so uh, TV. And and that or maybe it's a Kevin. Yeah, there you go. It's either TV or it's wrestling or it's bad for or maybe it's a Kevin Dunn thing that he agreed with. I bet you that they decreed that. So long ago, long ago enough that now nobody really knows why they do it. That's just the way they do it. Nobody asks any questions. And if you do ask a question. Then somebody will say, oh, don't ask questions because that's the way they do it. Because I used to ask a lot of questions, and that was oftentimes the fucking answer. See, that's what sucks, though. For the kid that discovers wrestling, like right now, this format of show is what they're seeing. And it's hard for me to imagine I would have gotten into wrestling the way I did if this was the style of wrestling, the style of format, the style of show that was out there. Oh, yeah. I mean, I like primetime wrestling. I liked, I liked Jesse Ventura and Vince McMahon talking about squash matches. That got me into it. So I wanted to see the matches. Now it's just this weird show. But I don't know even, if I would have been a fan. Pitching to break to me was always just sloppy broadcasting. And I would make sure that I like to pitch to break because that gives you a chance in your midpoint. When I was structuring matches that would go two segments on television, the heel cutting the baby face out of his best fucking effort so far in the match and pulling the rug out of out from under him and starting the heat in some nefarious manner was my favorite place to go to a break because now you've got something to tell people fans. It looked like steamboat was on the verge of taking flair, but now flair, the dirtiest player in the game has pulled the rug out from under him. We've got one more commercial timeout. We'll be right back. Steamboats in jeopardy that. Okay. Now, when you come back through the commercial break, steamboat has been fighting back as best he could, but flair remains in control. Now you've just reset it. And you're back in the thing instead of just some blase, oh, somebody walked out that's not involved in this match. Pizza commercial. Anyway, you got to wait too long to see the good stuff, Brian. That's the thing. But you know what you don't have to wait much longer for? What's that? The Spring Spectacular Sale at JimCornette.com. It's April the 8th, Saturday, April 8th, at noon Eastern time. Three brand new and never before seen items are going on sale at JimCornette.com along with all the rest of your favorites, including the December 2022 issue of Inside the Ropes magazine from over the UK. I am the cover boy. Oh, cover boy. And uh, it was the best-selling issue in the magazine's history. And now you can get a copy of the entire 48-page full-color magazine personally autographed by me. And we've only got a 1,000 of them, so jump in quickly on April the 8th. Also, by special arrangement with Inside the Ropes and our friend Kenny McIntosh and his fine establishment and crew over there, a DVD of the... I guess it was not a stand-up, but a sit-down event with uh, myself and Jim Ross being interviewed by Kenny McIntosh in London in October of 2016. And uh, we discuss the rise of the Attitude Era and go off on many tangents. Brett the Hitman Hart comes in for the last 20 or 25 minutes. That DVD has never before been offered for sale and now will be. It's on Saturday, April 8th at noon Eastern at JimCornette.com. And... 
The big news, that's why I've alluded to earlier, my garage is about to fill up with more action figures. The brand new breast cancer pink and black Jim Cornette figure from Figures Toy Company will go on sale Saturday, April 8th at noon Eastern. Autographed, limited to 1,000 of these. Personally autographed to anybody in any fashion. I'll say thank you or fuck you or bye. Uh, and $10, as we've mentioned before for the past few weeks, from each of these figures will be donated to the American Cancer Society, who won the, the fan polling, basically, when originally I'd said Susan G. Komen, and then I got backlash from the folks that were going to be the purchasers of these figures, going, no, they do too much marketing, and they, they're spendthrifts with their executives i don't i'm not trying to malign these people but it sounded like drama that i didn't want to get involved in and the folks out there who are going to be buying these figures and we're going to be raising this 10 grand for fighting breast cancer we opened it up to them and the cult responded with a number of suggestions and city of hope we're going to plug again because you said that one brian and it did get support but the throwing out the local and or regional charities that I did I thought might be fine but not somebody that buys the thing from Australia might not want their 10 bucks to go to Iowa or whatever we're we're going with the American Cancer Society cuz they're like Sherwood Williams they cover the world they're all over the place so anyway there'll be no increase in price on these figures by the way I'm not doing the old bait and switch jack it up 10 dollars and then give it it's coming out of our end, folks, we both got skin in this game, and... This guy learned accounting from Jim Crockett. Oh, well, you know, it's good to talk about the old deal where you give him the sleeves off your vest. But anyway, no, this is legitimate. Uh, no increase in price. There'll be a thousand of them. They go on sale Saturday, uh, April the 8th at noon Eastern at jimcornett.com, and $10 from each will be going to the American Cancer Society, and we will be sending out and disseminating proof of that donation after this whole thing takes place. So anyway, that's what's going on on April the 8th. You don't have to wait for that by cracky. Holy man. But you should, if you want to help the charity. Well, I mean, don't, you don't have to wait endlessly. It's, it's coming right up. Whereas it just, it's like, what? Nothing, nothing. Why are you laughing, sir? You don't sir? have to wait endlessly. It's just, it'll be... You don't have to wait endlessly. They wait, and then it'll be over. It's it's imminently here. It's coming soon. What is today? Well, see, we got six, eight... We got less than two weeks. That's right. 25% off that. What? What's 25% off? Are you giving people a discount on my, my merchandise? No, I would never. I would never. All right, well, speaking of waiting forever... We, you know, we, we made mention, and apparently we're going to have to wait a while longer. We've been waiting for Bray Wyatt to make any sense, to say anything, to come to a point, put a period on the end of a sentence, bring the thing somehow to a, a close, whatever the fuck is, is his issue, what he's talking, what is, what the whole deal is here. We've been trying to find out, waiting a while, right? Got an email from someone who will only be known as David. And I can't guarantee the veracity of this story. I don't know David personally. But he also wrote some stuff which I'm not going to read, which proves to me 
that he is a cousin of a famous wrestler from the 80s and 90s that I also knew, and I know this to be a fact because of things that he had said, so therefore, he's not only got a little experience with interactions with people in wrestling, but also as when we read the email, we will find that he works in production and has various friends in the production and entertainment industry if I've loosely covered that enough. So we don't know about the particular story we're going to tell here, but the guy has some legitimate contacts. And apparently, this was, uh, uh, he recently heard something that was confirmed from a few friends who work on WWE's production team. Now, I'm not, I'm not necessarily trying to say there's a mole in Stamford, but you know, there's hundreds of people that work on these television productions, Raw and SmackDown. But anyway, so apparently the plan was that Bray wanted to work with Brock Lesnar specifically. The reason being, Brian, you're going to love this. The reason being was that he needed someone that could completely destroy him. Because the idea... <laughs> I agree. Well, I mean, but you know, then again, we've seen that done before. The idea was for Brock to kill, in quotation marks, Bray at WrestleMania, which would then allow Uncle Howdy to raise a new beast version of Bray after oh, WrestleMania. <laughs> well, now, hold on. Which would allow Bray to come out and say, see, I told you there was a monster beneath this, and Brock killed me and unleashed the new monster. Or words to that effect. I'm sure it would take Bray longer. When the Mountain Dew match flopped, the WWE came back and said, you know, instead of a new Beast version, how about we get the Fiend back? Because apparently oh WWE... That's the well, good option? That's their good well, option? Hold on, WWE lost faith in the plan and decided they wanted the Fiend back due to the massive merchandise machine that the Fiend was. The masks and shirts and belts helped justify that $3 million salary, as well as the bus. So they gave him a bus, too, huh? And $3 million? Is that what we've been led to believe? I can't comment on, uh, on these matters. Well, when they fired him, he was making two-something. Anyway, when Brock refused to do the angle, David continues, they switched to Lashley. And when the company brought the Fiend idea back to Bray, he asked for some time off, which he was granted for one event. Then he no-showed MSG the next night. Of all the venues, the no-show, too. I, well, and that's where David's going. So, so my question for Jim is, in the old days, what would the punishment be for no-showing Madison Square Garden? Also, is there ever a scenario where doing this much build and storytelling and being this convoluted is worth the effort? Or does the build take so long that when the payoff happens, you've lost the fans because they just can't remember all the bullshit it took to get there? Bingo! And what would have happened? They would have never worked in the Northeast ever again. Well, well, now, hold on. There's, there's a quantification to that. But let's go to the second part first. The, first, the second part is is that now what we have unfortunately come to here in the wrestling business is we've talked about the word niche, the niche product, or the niche product, as some people say. But it's a tiny 
segment of society that is interested fanatically at a certain thing, but it's tiny because it fits a little niche, right? That's the difference now between, and possibly, which again, which came first, chicken or the egg, we put in the cart before the horse. Is that why that wrestling is now less popular on television and in live events than ever, ever before? Fewer people in, are going and fewer people are watching because they, it, it's, it's fucking, they've run off and left them and they don't have the time in their lives to follow all this convoluted bullshit. It was easy in the territory days. It was, the guys were fighting for titles, money, women, or revenge. And it's fairly easy to fucking, and there wasn't all this goddamn hoo-ha that, because now the people getting into the wrestling business, because it is a niche business, those people are niche people. And they like all this other niche shit. And they bring their niche people into the other niche shit. And it's all niche. And meanwhile, nobody's just saying, hey, I've, fucking stole your goddamn belt what are you gonna do about it and the other guy hits him over the head with a chair it's gotta be all this fucking hoo-ha that is requires fewer people than ever to spend more time watching more effort looking up news more money because everything's more expensive than ever to keep up with what the fuck's going on when it I, I, and the and the most interesting stuff is behind the scenes. And that's another thing the Territory Days had an advantage on, is there was no behind-the-scenes news to distract anybody. The only news was what was on television or in the arena program. And so everybody was on the same page. But the first part, what is the punishment for no-showing Madison Square Garden? It would depend. If it was Johnny Rods in the opening match and his car broke down, then I'm sure Vince, when he got to the fucking building covered in oil and crank fluid or whatever, Vince Sr. would have given him $100 and said, sorry, Johnny, we'll put you on second next time so you got more time to get here. What the fuck, right? I don't know that it, maybe in the old, did Raka ever no show on, if a star, if a an attraction. Yeah, that's the question. If an attraction on the card not even in the main event, but just somebody that was billed, that was, you know, featured in some way, no-showed without being hospitalized in a fucking car wreck or goddamn plane cancellation or something provable that was beyond their control. I don't know that that ever happened. Because what... The That's one, what they accused Bruno of. Remember when they wanted to screw what, over Bruno, they double-booked him and then they... That's right. Turned him in for one of those dates to say that he no-showed and he couldn't work all of a sudden. And then he went yes, to Toronto. And, and for some people who are going, what the fuck, this was before Bruno won the title in 61 or 62 and before he had, he was getting big, but it was before he became Bruno and he got on the outs with the office. This is yeah. why he always had bad feelings about the McMahons, even when they were all making so much money together. Yeah. Because originally they tried to keep him you know, out of the territory when they couldn't control what he was doing. But nevertheless, the point is nobody no-showed Madison Square Garden on purpose unless that that would be like, you would know you were giving your notice effective immediately. And it, so it would have to have been somebody that already wanted to leave the territory 
Um, my God, maybe you know, would Albano have gotten away with it because of he you got know fired in the garden more than anyone else. Well, yeah, because <laughs> that's because he was always drunk. Did he ever <laughs> actually not make it? I don't. You know, I never heard about that. But but no, that's something that wouldn't even. And see this. There's got to be something wrong with this fucking guy somehow that he's he was advertised for WrestleMania and all this other stuff and suddenly he's gone. So there's something wrong either creatively or physically or maybe mentally. Maybe he thinks that he's goddamn such a major star that if they don't want to do all this convoluted drivel that nobody understands that he'll just no show and they won't do anything to him but they just brought him back i don't know if he's got a no-cut contract but if he no showed without authorization he's breached that anyway so wilson but i i mean i don't see how i know he's popular but i don't see how you can be going out putting in the performances he's putting in making the lack of contribution he's making and then still think that you should be calling your shots with what Brock Lesnar is going to do at WrestleMania. And then if he did indeed no show without authorization, say, I'm not going to come to the garden because you don't want, know what to do with me. Right. What the fuck? Now maybe, maybe he's hurt or maybe, you know, somebody in the family has hooping belch. I don't know. They give too many guys who don't need this level of creative control or creative influence into their programs, creative influence. I think he already killed himself off and we didn't realize it. We weren't smart enough. LA Knight came out of that match more popular. LA Knight is getting more and more views. Yeah. No one even remembers that he lost to Bray Wyatt. And no one even remembers Bray Wyatt was on this show. And they're giving him a lot of money. It's hard to justify it. and. You want to look at it from a creative person's mind, but if it's not working, it's not working. And if WWE has this major financial investment in you, and they're saying, we want to pivot to something else. We don't want to get rid of you. We think you're talented. Right now, we, this we, isn't working. We want, you, we want you to do what you did before that at least sold us some fucking merchandise rather than what you're doing now, which is... We're, we're not getting. Because you said he's popular. Is he as popular two weeks ago as he was when he first came back? Or is he as popular then as he was a couple of years ago? I think it kind of has been very quickly established that he doesn't mean as much to the program now as he did then. And yeah. that happens to a lot of people. It's not exclusive to him. But, you know, I remember when they brought the Ultimate Warrior back. We brought it up before in 96. There's an example. It just didn't. Take? Boy, I tell you, but I was in the middle of that. His nostalgia lasted till he came back in April, and I think it lasted till June. Old Bray's nostalgia only lasted about three or four weeks, and then people were like, well, wait, what? You know, we just watched that Kane documentary. They pivoted from Isaac Yankum to Diesel. They pivoted from that to Kane. The other thing is, if you don't want to do Uncle Howdy, or not Uncle Howdy, uh, The Fiend, I guess Uncle Howdy would go away. Isn't he Uncle Howdy? Isn't Uncle Howdy part of him? Well, but only in his mind. And see, that's also a way for another relative to have a job. But <laughs> you see, it's a smart, because of a wrestling family, he's a smart guy. If, if, you know, if I, when I went to work for Crockett, if I'd have just come up with a way where I could be five different members of my family and manage the midnight, I would have got five different paychecks. 
But I guess that's the question. If you're WWE and you're paying him, let's just say $3 million. And he's doing good merch, but he's not doing merch like he used to. And you're having frustrations in dealing with him. And maybe you don't see these things the way he does now, and maybe what you thought would work on the show isn't working. Do you have the right to say we want to pivot? And should the attitude just be, I'm going home? They definitely have the right to say, let's pivot, especially when it's something that he seemed like, we didn't like that either, but it's something that he seemed like he didn't mind doing at the time, and at least it sold him some merchandise. For him to say, no, I'll instead just go home, if that is indeed what he did, uh, then I, I think they should help him carry his bags to the car and save the $3 million. If he if it comes out he's hurt or injured or, you know, whatever, well, then that's that's another thing. But if this was just, well, I don't want you, I don't want to do what you want me to do for $3 million. Jesus H fucking Christ, look at the shit you've already done. Where was your quality control fucking switch then? Mm. I'm telling you, Brian, dealing with temperamental wrestlers in today's age is not something that, again, you know, in the territory days, you had plenty of temperamental wrestlers and they'd yell and cuss and fight and scream and then figure out a way to fucking do whatever the fuck they needed to do. They did what the booker told them. They weren't going to the booker and saying, here's what I'm going to do with my character. Yeah. I have a whole horror scenario that me and my friends have put together and we're going to film these (laughs) things and they're going to, you're going to have to figure them out. You're going to have to find the clues and figure it out. Okay. And what will the clues lead us to? You'll never know. It'll just keep going and going and going and going. (laughs) And now it's gone. And that's when, uh, in the old days, the booker would have said, how about you keep going and going and going <laughs> until you're gone? I'll tell you, you know, it's enough, it's enough, Brian, to make you a nervous wreck. It's enough to give you what they call the Sunday scaries. Ooh. You know, when you got to deal with these wrestlers and they've got these wild harebrained schemes and ridiculous ideas, and you're just, you're, you're a raw nerve end, and you never know what kind of phone call you're going to get next whatever kind of amateurish pitch or whatever kind of science fiction scenario. And that's why that I believe Sunday scary should be the official CBD gummies of every wrestling booker because they will help you decompress. They'll help you clear your mind. They'll help you fall asleep. As a matter of fact, folks, it's 2023. We're on the way to time travel. Somebody's going to have to invent suspended animation. You take, a couple of these Sunday scary CBD gummies a day. Well, goddamn, you'll just fall asleep on the Jupiter too, and you'll be there until Doctor Smith wakes you up in a panic. I'm telling you, metaphorically speaking. Metaphorically speaking, it might not be Doctor Smith because, after all, Jonathan Harris has passed away. But it'll be some flamboyant senior citizen with gray hair and an ascot. That's the last That's- person I want waking me up in a panic, Doctor Zachary Smith. Oh, the pain! Oh, oh dear! Pain. William, William, you bubble-headed booby. But I'll tell you what, you're a bubble-headed booby if you don't check into the Sunday Scary CBD gummies because that's, again, the Sunday Scaries are the oh-shit moments. The nervousness, the can't sleep, the feelings of dread and impending doom. Sometimes that feeling of impending doom can be a symptom of a heart attack. So 
these must be good for heart attacks also. If you feel like you're having no, a heart attack, say, folks, take a Sunday scary. No, 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 no. If you feel like you're having a heart attack, folks, go to the emergency room or call your doctor or call 911. Do not, metaphorically speaking, in some weird metaphorical sense that I haven't picked up on, Jim is saying these things. Well, and I thought it was, I thought it was the multi, multiphor, the multiphorically speaking. When you have more than one multiphor. metaphor, it's a multiphor. But nevertheless, Sunday Scary CBD gummies were made to defeat the crap life throws at us. The perfect CBD gummies for professionals on the grind, super moms, students, party animals. Do we have any party animals out there in the uh, cult of Cornet? But they're deliciously cute, according to the advertising content here. Deliciously cute. They're vitamin boosted. So at the same time as you will send yourself into a state of suspended animation, you will also get plenty of your daily vitamins. Just make sure you don't have iron-poor blood. And sometimes when they have to, at the hospital, hook you up with a fucking Sears diehard battery and jumpstart you to bring you back around again, well, then you'll have plenty of vitamin C to ward off possible germs you'll come in contact with. Multiforically speaking. Multiforically speaking, if you're a horrible sleeper, no more. You'll be out like a light. And you won't be nervous about anything. As a matter of fact, people will run in screaming, Hey, Joe, the fucking house is on fire. And you'll say, well, let me know when it gets serious. That's the kind of state you'll be in. You will not be in that kind of state unless it's in dreamland. But in reality, if there was a fire, you would be able to just jump right up and get out of the house. Um, I, and I just believe, jump out the window or, or that if you need, if you're in a house fire and you need to work up the courage to jump out the window, folks, take one of these Sunday scary CBD gummies and Try the unicorn jerky. Huh? Try the unicorn jerky. Will that help you jump out the window? Well, it's just, it's a, one of the wonderful products from Sunday scaries. Yeah. But is it going to help you if you're trapped in a house fire? Let's not talk about jumping through windows. Well, what are you going to do if you're trapped in a house fire and the door the door is aflame? The only egress that you have is a window. What do you do? What do you do? The floor am I on? Third. Oh, fuck. I'm going to yeah. jump out the third floor window? There's no fire escape? What building am I in? Is it up to code? Yeah, but this isn't the goddamn Bronx. Well, this is in normal civilization. They haven't had fire escapes since the fucking 30s. You're on the third floor. Your house is on fire. The only way out is a window. Now, once again, I never thought I would the defend the floor, Bronx, but what is this? If you're on the first floor, it's a no-brainer. If, if you're on the second floor, chances are you're going to be okay. So I put you on the third floor because then it's a decision, but it's not like it's the fourth or the fifth floor where you go, well, fuck it. It's the gas chamber or the electric chair. I'm done, cooked, and over either way, dicked by the dingle-dong of destiny. Stick a fork in me, I'm done. You're on the third floor. You got an equal shot. What are you going to do? What's outside the window? Do I have any trees? Oh, for God's sake, no! Is there a it's house like, next door with, like, a pipe, a drainage no, thing I could jump nothing, on? There's, there's nothing but grassy surface and ground below the third-story window, and generally you've got a, a, every 10 feet per story, so you're looking at the window being about 22 feet off the ground, or the same, actually less height, two feet shorter, than the scaffold match was at scaffold, at scaffold, at Star at scaffold 86. Yes, at scaffold yes. 86. So what are you going to do? What's under me? Is there any, is there an awning? Is I there a grass and ground? What about a flagpole? There's nothing. There's no, well, if you, 
There's nothing to aim right, for. It's just a flat house. It's just if you aimed wrong on that flagpole, what? How many houses do you have with flagpoles on them? What is that? Government building? Well, I'm just thinking of things I can grab on. There's nothing to grab. Down. You're out the window. You're in space until you get to the flat ground with grass on it. Well, you know what? I just watched El Hijo del Vikingo, so I think I may be able to jump out the window in a tumble salt fashion and uh, just roll away. I would do it. And you just roll off. I roll just off. roll off because it is downhill. So you're gonna, and then you got a creek. Can you swim? Glass rolls on. So, folks, here's the thing. If you're faced with that situation, you're on the third floor in a house that's ablaze, and you've only got a window to exit out of, take one of these Sunday Scary CBD gummies, get up the courage, jump out the window, land on the ground, roll into the creek, and then you better know how to swim or you're going to be up shit creek without a paddle. And right now, we will give you a paddle to get 25% off your CBD gummies from Sunday Scaries. Just go to Sunday. That's like the day, Sunday. If you can't spell that, apparently you've already had too many gummies. Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. Sunday, Sunday, scaries. The plural of scary, S-C-A-R-I-E-S, dot com, sundayscaries.com. Use the promo code J-C-E for your 25% discount. 25% off the Sunday Scary CBD gummies at sundayscaries.com. Promo code J-C-E. Take two. CBD gummies every day to keep the scaries away and keep the fire department phone number on speed dial and make sure that the window is not nailed shut and you'll be fine. Sundayscaries.com. Sundayscaries.com. All right. Speaking of scary, there's some scary things being said. Apparently while I was taking a, a sabbatical of a couple of days from the outside world, Uncle Dave, the house organ for AEW, or would he be the house mouth organ? Maybe for AEW, uh, has lit up our friend Punk again, as well as some of the things that they have done or actions they have taken on television this past Wednesday night. And Punk had a response, which we don't hear from him often. It's only when it seems like that there might be some movement that he might be returning that then somehow Uncle Dave comes up with a thing like, well, we think that Punk's trying to get back in like he's there knocking on the door. Tony, let me back in, please. And then statements get made that Punk has to come out and inflame everybody's taint with by telling the truth. And then that seems like that would, to the outside viewer looking in, would knock back the return time of said punk to wrestling, which seems like that's what the power-drunk EVPs in that fucking flea market company want to see happen. So uh, uh, try to... Uh, do you have the the chronology of events here from who ran whose dick liquor first that punk had to respond to. Well, let's first talk about the bigger issue, which is punk's ready to come back based on what we know about his injuries, right? From way back. Tony Khan definitely wants CM Punk back. But I think one of the big issues with all this is Tony Khan just, he never makes a situation better. 
Whenever he has a chance, Tony Khan never makes the situation better. But what happened, apparently, it started a few days ago. CM Punk wrote a comment on Instagram about the new Steve Kern biography. Steve Kern, from the Fabulous Ones, or uh, Skinner, put out a biography. Oh, come on now. It wasn't his fault. Well, he was on national TV, though, so people know it. He wrote a biography with Ian Douglas, who's written several good wrestling books. Punk wrote one of the forwards to the book. In the comments on Instagram, he wrote, Best book about a fascinating man in a strange business since Brett wrote his book. Great story about Gator and Coco fighting in the locker room, and then Lawler drags them into the office the next day, and they squash it. Fascinating. And that was the comment. So why don't we start there just because you were probably there when Coco and uh, Steve Curran had their issue, I would guess. Well, I, I didn't witness it. I think I was on the buttermilk run at that. I was in the other town in front of no people. But what happened was um, the fabulous ones, Lane and Kern, were Jerry Jarrett's handmade gimmick to replicate the success of the fabulous Fargo brothers as a team, but as baby faces. And he, in those days, everybody, as we mentioned, didn't have music and everybody didn't just go out and have the entrance they wanted to have. You go to the fucking ring, right? Well, he told the fabs, go out, go around the ring, hug the girls. The girls loved them. You've seen the rock and roll do the same thing. Seen the Fantastics do the same thing. That was the gimmick of that rock and roll MTV style tag team. Go around the ring, hug the fans, hug the kids, hug the girls. Well, then... <laughs> They switched Coco Ware. Uh, I can't remember whether he'd been a heel, or but he, that's when he became either Stagger Lee. I th- it was Stagger Lee, because then he got music. And he just decided one night in Memphis or whatever, he was going to go around the ring and do the Fabs deal, where he shook hands and hugged all the people and blah, blah, blah. And then Kern walked in the locker room at a spot show a night or two later when he saw him and took exception to Coco doing the fucking... Fab's thing, and they got in a fight about it. But then, you know, the next day or whenever it was, nobody got called in the office because he would have had to go to Jerry Jarrett's house. That's where the office was. But they got called in the fucking room at the next building, and his lawler is, hey, are we going to be fucking doing this? We want both of you here, but are we going to be doing this? Are we going to make money? Okay, sorry. Boom. Done. If you took a uh, if if you took a pin and you marked off from every wrestling card held in the world, if through recorded history, every name of every person that had ever either had a physical fight with, threatened a physical fight with, or fucking wanted to goddamn have a physical fight with and loudly proclaimed that, another motherfucker in the wrestling business, you'd have never had a fucking show. So that, you know, that was nothing unusual, but go ahead. Well, that was it with CM Punk's quote. Inflammatory words there. More appropriately, his post on Instagram. What followed that apparently is Dave Meltzer went on his website's radio show. People pay for subscriptions and they get access to various things, including different radio shows. So they got a paywall over there. They got a paywall. People pay them for a number of things, including the ability to go on a message board and say all sorts of things. We'll talk more about that a little bit later. But 
He apparently went on a show and referenced this comment about the Steve Kern book, which again, he wrote the, CM Punk wrote the forward for, and said this is a sign that CM Punk wants to come back, that he really wants to come back, and in order to do so, he needs to apologize to the whole locker room. What? Yes. Oh, boy. Well, and Dave knows that Tony's talking to Punk. So when he says Punk wants to come back, Dave knows that Tony is talking to Punk. And this is the way it is. But but again, it's not like, oh, Mr. Khan, please bring me. Don't you think, honestly, since Punk is sitting at home getting a check for multiple tens of thousands of dollars every week. I I don't know how to do that kind of math. Um, with a calculator. Well, but you know what I'm saying. I don't know how much giant fucking money he's getting every week to sit at home and be no benefit to the company whatsoever by their choice. And so it's like he's he he's not begging for his check back. He's not begging for his money. He's not begging. It, the the injury which is the recovery time, September, October, November, December, January, February, March, we're pretty good. And if anybody thinks that, well, it's been reported that they have talked. It's been fightful. And the folks at Inside the Ropes have said that they've had several conversations between Tony Khan and CM Punk. So one would think that there was something that was going to move out of that, that all of a sudden another detrimental story comes up because the one thing that the EVPs and their little buckaroos know is that if they tell Uncle Dave something, he will believe them wholeheartedly because he's a sap. And he will repeat It's not just the EVPs. Well, you know what I'm saying. Yeah. And he will repeat it, and then it will inflame... CM Punk and poke the bear because he's not a person who likes to be disrespected or have all of this shit said about him in public when he doesn't do the same thing. And that's how this all started. The, uh, that's, and that's the continuing, that's what started it. That's what's continued this whole thing. Every time it looks like that maybe they're on the verge, Tony and Punk might be on the verge of doing some business. Then the fucking little ragtag lollipop guild that runs his television has to do something on TV like they did Wednesday night, by the way, when they had a shot of the production truck in the parking lot. They leaned tables and cardboard up over Punk's face on the side of the truck for the camera shot. Only person, just conveniently. Or a story like that comes out that it now makes Punk's response, which we'll get to in a second, makes more sense of some inexplicable shit that they did on TV quite a while back. But he has to come out and defend himself because he's not the one slandering these other fuckers in public. He's apparently being professional and not talking to people about this, whereas they're feeding everything they can feed to the fucking guys that are willingly lapping it up and then spitting it back out. And it pisses him off and he fucking fires back and then they can say, oh, well, Tony, look, he's goddamn, he's, he's still mad. It's a, it's a bunch of fucking idiots around here. And he's the Tony only Khan, one we don't hear from. You know, can I say something? Because this is something I want to make sure is said. Yeah. Because I've reported about a lot of this stuff, and someone show me where I've been wrong. I've got good sources, and I know how to gather information. 
I've never spoken to CM Punk. I've never heard from CM Punk. I've never heard from anyone that I know of that's in CM Punk's, whatever you want to call it, camp or wrestlers that are really close with him. Everything I've said has been from the point of view of someone who's actually just tried to figure out the story. Observation. So the other day you brought up his comment, we'll talk about it in a minute, but when I tweeted out that it was nice to see him finally fight back, that's really what I meant. Because I've seen all sorts of shit, whether it's in The Observer or just coming right out of Dave Meltzer's mouth or in various other places, that I know is a spin that is wrong based on everything I know from what's been going on and what's happened. And that's through never hearing about anything from the punk camp. I hope he talks out more. I hope he either confirms or says we're wrong about things. You say he, you know, lashed out and then people said, oh, he's mad again. This is the first time we've heard anything from him about this, really. He made a joke at that combat show he did commentary on, but we never hear from punk. We never do. And the stories that we constantly see out there, or sometimes in a lot of cases, half the story. And I'm not even talking about punk, but it'll be like, oh, this person did this and they have this issue with punk. And then the story ends, not, and then Punk was gone and this person had issues with someone else. That part is never really part of it, but there are certain wrestlers that get some protection from over there in The Observer. But I just wanted to point that out. I never hear from CM Punk about any of the things I report, and people accuse me of being someone getting stuff from Punk just because what I report says that Punk isn't the devil of professional wrestling. Well, and then again, there's a lot that you can not divulge, but a lot that you can glean from just looking at what the fuck's going on and that this should have already been settled long ago. They need talent over there bad, as this past Wednesday night's TV program showed. But nevertheless, so Punk commented on Kern's biography. Dave starts going on about, well, if he wants to come back, he wants to come back, but he's going to have to apologize to everybody. For what? For having his space invaded and being bum-rushed by a bunch of fucking EVPs, employees of the company, but nevertheless... Yeah, where's the apology Dave's, from the good Christian boys? Well, you know, they, they forgive and forget over there. Yeah. And, and all that stuff. Some people pretend they're religious, but when you really look at their fucking lives and the way they behave and the way they do things, it has nothing to do with the teachings of Jesus Christ at all. All right, but nevertheless, so now that the story is out that, oh, he's going to have to apologize and he wants to come back, but they, they covered his face up on TV. What happened next, oh, great Brian Last? That's where Mr. Punk had to make a few things clear. Well, no, that's not what happened no, next. No, that's not what net. Oh, I'm sorry, I missed a step. Again, going back to Dave Meltzer and Brian Alvarez's message board, a message board that people pay a membership to have access to, and then they can anonymously put whatever they want up there, and uh, typically these things are left up. It's very interesting. But Dave went on there in a thread about all this punk stuff and his face being covered up on Dynamite, and said, do you know why they didn't advertise Punk versus Moxley longer? And why it had a short build? Because Punk agreed to it. Then AEW got a legal letter saying he wasn't down with it and wasn't doing it. And they didn't know if he'd come until Tony put his foot down. <laughs> there are a lot of nice things I can say about him. And you can absolutely argue his position on Moxley was correct. But you can't argue he willingly did 
what he was asked in that scenario. Okay. So that specifically, and I don't think you knew that or saw that, but that specifically. No, I, I don't read. I don't read Dave's tricklings anymore. But again, that was the the TV episode, like a week or two before the pay per view, where it was going to be Moxley and Punk, but then suddenly we got Moxley and Punk, and Moxley beat the shit out of him in like three minutes. And then a week or two later, they have the pay-per-view match, and that's where Punk won, but in the process, hurt himself. So, And we couldn't figure out at the time, what in the flying fuck is Tony thinking? Or why would you do this? What's going on? Apparently, now we have more insight in it from what Punk says Moxley's reaction was and how this whole thing came up. But let's just remind everyone what Dave Meltzer is saying is that the reason the match didn't happen was because Punk agreed to it and then had his lawyer send in a letter and refused to do it until Tony put his foot down and made him do it. CM Punk responded on Instagram briefly in a post that was taken down. Sigh. Sigh. I wasn't cleared to come back to wrestle yet. Then, plan was to wrestle at the pay-per-view. I sat and listened to Moxley's Rocky Three idea. I explained how I'd never seen a Rocky movie <laughs> and thought the idea sucked, but if the boss wanted to do it, whatever. He said he wouldn't lose to me. I'd never experienced someone refusing to lose to me. I just laughed. I asked Tony if this is what he wanted. He said yes. He's the boss, so I said okay, but I need to be cleared first. They kept saying it could just be a squash, so I didn't need to be cleared. <laughs> wait, wait, you don't need to be medically cleared for a squash, Matt. If you're the one taking the fucking bumps, you probably do. They kept saying it could just be a squash, so I didn't need to be cleared. I scoffed at that. My health is more important. Dave Meltzer is a liar. Jericho is a liar and a stooge. Boy, now I'll tell you, right there, when you're a liar, that's one thing. But if you're a liar and a stooge, well, you're just in a sad fucking state. There were plans, but plans always change. But I'll never put a company above my health ever again. So again, we never hear anything from CM Punk. There's CM Punk finally defending himself for once. Explain to me what the fuck about what they did had anything to do with Rocky Three. In Rocky, th I think this is what it would be. I've seen Rocky Three. It's been a while, but explain to me how there was similarities there. I can't say about similarities, but in Rocky Three, Rocky gets destroyed in a squash match against Clubber Lang, Mr. T. Then he has to go train with Apollo Creed and learn a new way to fight. And then he comes back and ultimately gets a victory, destroying his opponent, Clubber Lang. Okay, well, yes, but first of all, remember we talked about how what a rotten position that Tony had put himself and his company and Punk in because he didn't have a strong heel for Punk to come back and defeat to not only as the interim champion to defeat and reunify the titles and blah 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 moxley was allegedly a babyface at that point too besides the fact 
that did Clubber Lang, did they already have a match between Clubber and Rocky booked? And and were selling tickets to it when 10 days ahead of time, they said, wait a minute, let's do this fucking fight in front of people at a press conference and have a sanctioned fight, and then Clubber will win that one, and then 10 days later... And remember, Moxley, come back and, and remember, Moxley was the interim champion, wasn't he? Yes. Wasn't it a match to would, unify the two belts? Yes. So, it again... It wasn't like, oh, they we're having this. And wasn't the original Rocky and Clubber fight, was that some kind of charitable situation they were doing or no, something? No. I'm, I'm conflating that with Thunderlips. That with Thunderlips was a charitable uh, exhibition. Yeah, but regardless, it, it, the problem is Moxley thinks he's fucking Clubber. The problem is Moxley thinks he's a fucking wrestler. But now we know that it wasn't Tony Khan being just weird and a bad booker and crazy. It was Moxley basically saying, well, I, I got to fucking beat him first or else I'm not going to put him over. And so they shoehorned that deal in <laughs> because Moxley had to have it. Remember I said, look, when he came out on the pay-per-view, I said, it looks like he's got job face on. And he had job face even though he just fucking beat the guy two weeks beforehand. And this is the kind of shit that Tony thinks is not only good ideas, but then allows this stuff to be used to slander the biggest star that he's got who's not been on his television in seven months. And then Punk has to set the record straight again because he's being slandered in the press with the Whisper campaign and the little things that they do to prick him on television. And it sets back Tony's talks. Because Tony has no balls, as we've come to find out, and will not put his foot down, will not make any decisions about anything, and he allows his shit to go on. Yeah, Tony is the problem. Tony's the one person there who can actually squash everything. Tony's the one person there who could have prevented all this from happening. And that's one of the reasons why they're going to, I'm positive, they'll find a way to settle with Punk one way or the other, because the last thing they want is people talking about Tony's behavior throughout this thing. Well, the last thing that the the, the, the last first thing, thing they want. the first thing they ought to want is a name back on the television program. The last thing that they ought to want is anybody talking about how anybody in that company is conducting themselves in any positions of responsibility, being revealed to the public, both just in terms of how stupid it makes everybody look and potential liabilities for things. <laughs> but that's uh, again. You know what? Even though Tony is is the boss, and I say this in name only, even though he's the boss, he owns everything, he pays everybody, he doesn't have to go through a corporate infrastructure, he doesn't have to go through all of the various shit that publicly traded companies do, or the, Sinclair when they bought Ring of Honor. You remember, I told you a story about Adam Pierce and the merchandise weasel. And it was the same. It's the wrestling business. It's the same thing as the Steve Kern Coco Ware story, except it ended differently because in today's time, we have either lawyers or human resources or corporate fucking structures in place in the wrestling business. But when Sinclair bought Ring of Honor, the first announced team was set to be Adam Pierce and Kevin Kelly. 
dear old Adam from the WWE beleaguered manager role now. And I was told that there was problems. I knew that there'd been problems between Adam and the previous Ring of Honor office. And basically the guy that was still there was Ross Abrams, the merchandise weasel, the guy that went to the shows and sold the goddamn rags, paper and pens, as Sputnik would say, and filled fucking envelopes for mail orders at the office in Bristol. The kind of guy you find on one of these message boards. The kind of guy you find on one of these message boards and with a fucking tube of Clearasil in one hand and a goddamn fucking keyboard in the other one. So Delirious and I went to Ross and we brought him over in the corner very respectfully. We said, we want to let you know. I know you've had some problems in the past with Adam Pierce. Well, he's coming in. He's going to be the new color guy. And I've talked to Adam and he's willing to shake your hand and apologize for the previous interaction between you guys. I'll tell you what it was. I haven't said that. They fucking argued, and Adam Pierce yelled at Ross and said, the next time I see you, I'm going to beat the fuck out of you. Because I think it was over the phone, right? That's it. He just said, fuck you. You're a no-good piece of shit. I'm going to beat the fuck out of you. That's, com- the- that's commonplace in the text messages of AEW personnel. Well, I'm talking about it's the wrestling business, right? Even if they had said fucking beat the fuck out of each other, well, Adam would have beat the fuck out of him, but you know what I'm saying. Dude, Ross Abrams wasn't kicking anyone's ass ever. Well, I know. I ever. Anyway, <laughs> but we went to him and we said, Adam said he'll either shake his hand, shake your hand and apologize to you and y'all can work together or he'll be glad to ignore you if you don't feel comfortable with that, whichever, because your, t- your merchandise, he's going to be TV. You'll be in the same building, but you don't have to interact. So we wanted to give you a courtesy heads up here. This what's going on and decide what response you would like from Adam and, and we'll go from there. But nothing bad's going to happen and nobody's going to beat you up. Okay, as far as I was concerned, done, right? So then I get the fucking phone call from gutless Gary Jester, who whenever a situation was bad, he could be counted on to make it worse by going to Starbucks and hiding and then saying, oh, well, it'll be okay. <laughs> and he said, well, Ross Abrams went over Joe Coff's head and called human relations at Sinclair Broadcasting. Human resources. You, whatever the fuck. He's never had any human relations, Ross Abrams. And... I said, what the fuck? Easy, I complained about Adam Pierce. I said, well, fine, fuck him then. We can get anybody to goddamn sell the merchandise. It's not that, oh, no, no. I said, what, what? No, they're not going to fire him. I said, why wouldn't you fucking fire him? He not only, we told him what was going to happen and that we would take care of him. Nothing's going to, bad's going to happen to him, but we were, gave him a courtesy talk. He's now gone over Joe Coff's head and called Sinclair when he's only worked for this company for fucking four weeks or whatever. And we're not going to fire his fucking little Weasley ass? Oh, goddamn, I'll goddamn make him fucking hang himself in his closet by the time I get finished telling him what I think of him and everybody in his fucking family and everybody he's ever known, this motherfucker. Now he's goddamn fucking up my TV show. I was going to go through the goddamn phone line. And he goes, no, no, he'll call human relations on you. And it will all be in trouble. I said, we are going to let this fucking dickless pussy hold us goddamn hostage and determine the color commentator of the television program because of human relations at Sinclair. And everybody was so scared. They've just bought the company. It'll be a big problem. They'll think they're going to get sued. 
So this fucking pimply faced piece of shit with a dick the size of a fucking half a Vienna sausage leached two years of salary off of him before they finally fired him for cause because he was stealing from the company, taking merchandise from the warehouse and selling it mail order, using his own goddamn home address as the return address on the stolen merchandise. But nevertheless, he did that twice, blocked Adam Pierce, because it's not the wrestling business anymore. It's a bunch of fucking sensitive, soft little pussies that want to whine and cry and complain to human resources or get their lawyer involved or whatever the fuck. And this is the, it's, it, it's I guarantee you that the buckaroos, when they were around Ring of Honor the first time, he was gone by the second time, were probably one of Ross's favorites because they're similar people. Whiny little gutless pussies won't stand up for themselves face to face. Anyway, it's just, you know, again, it all comes back to Tony Khan. Tony Khan made all of this worse every chance he got. And that wasn't his intention, but it says more about Tony Khan and his management skills and his interpersonal skills and his decision-making ability. And it's ridiculous. And we hear so many things since the very beginning, since before the beginning, about Tony, good and bad, his love of wrestling and how he really wants to do this. And then you see the finished product. And then you see his behavior. And then you just hear story after story after story. You can ask everyone in the world to sign an NDA. It's not going to prevent stories of wackiness from getting out. And... You know, you said it way back about the all-out scrum, which, did again, that didn't even start it. It seems like there were guys who had a grudge against Punk from day one. Again, go watch that Bobby Fish match. Yeah. And then the Colt Cabana shit. A guy who is, even if you're his biggest fan, come on, completely useless in 2023 on major wrestling television. Meaningless. All of a sudden, that stuff started. This stuff is happening with Moxley. Before anyone thinks John Moxley's some, you know, just some innocent, nice guy who got swept up in this mean Phil Brooks stuff, has Moxley ever pulled this kind of shit before or since? Where all of a sudden he wants to do things his way and he's refusing to lose? That's a question that needs to be asked. But I guess only Tony Khan can answer that. And we know Tony's very selective in what he says. But Punk had to deal with all this stuff. You said it about All Out. He's sitting there saying these things. You don't think he's been saying these things to Tony Khan? You don't think Tony's heard them? Tony didn't have the, oh my God, where'd this come from face. He had the, oh shit, I've heard this before face. I don't think anyone goes out there and says that stuff if he doesn't think his boss agrees with him. That's different than he's heard it before. So Does Tony agree with whoever he's in a room with because he's scared not to? <sighs> Who knows? Tony's the issue here. Tony's management or lack of management is the issue here. And he's made all this worse. And now it's ridiculous. Because now, if Punk comes back, who's he going to work with? I have to admit, they've kind of gone up and down in terms of people wanting to see him against the elite. I think we've seen so much of the we've seen so much of the elite here lately. Does anybody want to see any more of them to begin with? I was cheering when they carried 
the buckaroos out in the meat wagon at the opening of the program. I'm like, yes, we can avoid that. And then they gave us everything else that we wouldn't want to see. If you're a wrestler who keeps to himself and just wants to do his thing and have every segment be good, which is everything we've heard about CM Punk, do you want to return to the drama factory? Because that's what it is. It's Tony Khan's drama factory. And there are certain people, certain cliques, they happen to be from Cucamonga, but it's an extended clique who have caused drama time after time after time. And I understand because a lot of people are silent about it. A lot of people were afraid to talk about these things. It's natural. People are working there. They don't want to getting out, oh, this person said this about this person. But to a man, if you talk to people there about who causes the problems, has Phil Brooks made employees their cry? Or have the elite ever made employees their cry from their behavior? I'll ask that question. And for those of you who think I just ask these things out of the blue, I usually ask questions I know the answer to. So everyone wants to point to Punk. He doesn't defend himself. He's a, whatever you want to say, a singular man out there in a political world of wrestling where you have to be friends with everyone and go along with everything. If you know the other participants, or if you know enough from everyone around the other participants, like Tony Khan and the Young Bucks and Kenny Omega, and there's a lot more we could say about that, and even Moxley, then it becomes a little ridiculous, the whole idea that it's just bad guy Phil Brooks. I'm not saying I agree with everything he did. I'm not saying I would have done things the same way. I'm not saying I wouldn't have gone even further, quite frankly, than him. If those guys all bum-rushed my fucking room. But the idea that because people like these other guys, they're willing to ignore the facts of any of this is ridiculous. And a lot of stuff hasn't been out there publicly, and it's a shame. I put on Twitter the other day some of the AEW employee playbook, which specifically restricts... I saw that, by the way. Did they rip that off from football? Because they keep saying team in a lot of it. Well, again, it's, it's mega. She's the attorney for this. She's the attorney for that. She's, she's, she's an attorney without term, terminology. Tony, I, would, I wouldn't understand Tony Khan as well as I do if I didn't go through Jeff Wilpon running the Mets because his father <laughs> let him run the Mets for years. I'm, I'm not even joking. I'm not saying that as a joke. No, it, I remember that. And there was a member of the Wilpon family that a couple guys in the business, what, about 10 or 12 years ago, were stupid enough to think was going to start this big promotion and give them, give them all insurance and benefits and everything. And that went far. He has to apologize to the locker room. I'm sorry that so many of you don't understand what kind of business you're in and you think you're still at the romper room. Can I ask you a question? A very serious question. Yes. If you're Dave Meltzer... And let's just say that Dave recognizes, and I'm not sure he does, but let's just say for this example, Dave recognizes that he's being a little used by certain people. And while that may have always been the case, and everyone uses everyone when it comes to wrestling journalism, now it's affecting things like this. Do you reassess the way you're conducting yourself and doing things? Because at this point, Almost all of this punk elite AEW drama, the two sources at the very front aren't even the elite and punk. It's Tony Khan for letting all this happen and Dave Meltzer for constantly fanning the flames, even if he doesn't mean to. Well, because he's Tokyo Rose. He's the 
propagandist because he he has decided which side of a completely diametrically opposed conflict between two sides he's decided which side he's on because that's the side that's nice to him and the side that puts him over and the side that makes him feel good and also that's to be honest the side that most of his readers are on because of the contraction of the wrestling business and the shrinking of it and the you know, the fucking fan base that's left, they like a lot of the shit that he likes, and he's pleasing his readers and speaking to them, and they have a crossover with his readers who have, obviously, cartoon minds and a lot of time on their hands now, and the fucking cartoon wrestlers. And so it's it's very synergistic amongst that. So he's the supposedly independent journalist that's actually a house organ unwillingly and 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 people are saying oh dave's on the payroll no he's not he's doing this because he genuinely thinks these motherfuckers are his friends just like tony is paying all these fucking guys huge sums of money because he thinks they're his friends and dave is doing this to protect his friends and his fucking business his readership by keeping the only ones that's stupid enough yet to believe his goddamn seven-star drivel about Twinkle Toes and the whole rest of this thing, he's, he's exposed himself. It's so over the top. If you heard that, oh, the goddamn buckaroos drove over an old lady and three fucking orphans outside an orphanage in the street, well, they were crossing against the light, according to Meltzer. All of a sudden, he doesn't critique matches over there. He'll say the things he likes. I read the House Show report about the Britt Baker Anna J match. Not one word of this was an epic disaster that people were laughing at. Not one word of this clip went viral because these people were terrible in the ring. He hasn't criticized any bad Jericho segments ever. There are certain people that get protected. Jericho, Jericho gets upset when he's called names. Yeah. Now we know that. And by the way, if Punk goes back, that's going to be the first guy that's going to try to work with Punk. Calling that one right now, Jericho. Well, yeah, because he wants to be in the main event of the fucking match is going to draw some money. Listen, man, everyone knows I called you a cancer. Why don't we play on this? We can get Susan G. Coleman involved. <laughs> now, Punk won't go for that. He thinks they're phony, too, I bet you. But the problem is, you know, and I've been reading The Observer a long time, and Dave talks a lot about Frank DeFord. There's a different sports journalist I'm starting to think of with The Observer. At the very end, Dick Young, who was a writer <laughs> here in New York, started getting fed stuff by M. Donald Grant the chairman of the board of the Mets, they ran Tom Seaver out of New York. The franchise of the Mets, they ran him out of New York. Started planting things in the press about his wife being jealous of Nolan Ryan's wife and the money they're getting. All these stories, they ran the best player in team history out of New York. Dave's becoming like Dick Young at the end. And anyone who knows baseball in New York knows what I'm talking about. That's and now remember, becoming. folks... He, it's not that Brian last called Dave Meltzer a young dick. It's that he called him Dick Young. Dick Young at the end. At the end of his dick. And I guess that makes Jericho M. Donald Grant. I don't know. Well, should we talk about... Hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. whoa. Oh, two, oh. two more things. I, I, if you don't okay. mind, two more things. All right. If you're CM Punk, what do you want to do? You know... It, <laughs> Honestly, if this was the wrestling business, 
then I would have wanted to get over my injury and come back and have a six-man tag with FTR as my partners against the Cucamonga Kids and fucking Twinkle Toes because that, if they'd have all had a business mind from the start and they could have been building to that instead of trying to disrupt everything and the people knew that there was legitimate bad feelings, that could have been a money match on pay-per-view. I think at this point, that's diminished somewhat because now they've got all these other goofy stories. When now Harpo's going to be a babyface, even though his manager Don Fallis is a fucking heel, and the Buckaroos, who knows what they are besides slappable face little fucking cretins. And it it, it seems like if anybody was going to work together in this scenario, there would have been some agreement by now, but they're too they're not only pussies, but they're unmotivated. They're scared to get in the ring with the guy that beat the shit out of them before, but also they don't make any extra money because they're all on guarantees and they're EVPs. So you know what the, that Tony should have said? I tell you what, I won't give you a salary. I'll make you EVPs and you can have 5% each of the fucking company. Now you're going to want to see us make money, aren't you? But he couldn't do that and they wouldn't have taken it because they knew that they were like the city of Memphis, Tennessee. Their whole gimmick was built on a bluff. So in the wrestling business, that's what I would have been working toward if I was punk. But now, I mean, why would you... He's making a lot of money, but he can easily make that money still sitting out and just not press fucking Tony Khan, and he'll keep getting his check. You know what would be the biggest match in AEW history? CM Punk versus Cody Rhodes at SummerSlam. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, well, that's what I'm saying. However long that the contract is out or is left, he can just say, you know what? I'll wait for Tony to call me and sit and collect his money, and he'll be a rich man. He already is. Or he can say, you know what? They've maligned my goddamn reputation and have people calling me a cancer because I was the only one to stand up to them in their fucking boys club and tell the truth about how stupid they are. So I tell you, I'm going to sue for slander and libel and malignment and professional fucking career damage and make more money than if I just sat at home and let him send me my check because he'd win. He was attacked by employees of the company. Executives of the company executives of the company or he could say tony tell you what uh, here's a ballpark figure maybe 50 of what i'm due on the rest of my contract just write me a check now we're done i'll see you at SummerSlam." that could be a thing that he could do too yeah tony will do whatever he wants as long as he'll sign an agreement that he's never allowed to say anything bad about tony or the organization ever again the biggest fear they have over there is anyone knowing how fucked up everything is over there that's the biggest fear they have all of them well the longer that that tony allows his little buddies to continue to poke the bear and the longer this goes on without a resolution then the more chance there is is that everybody's going to find out what stupid fucking delusional goddamn either egomaniacal or just fucking out in the goddamn woods brains exist in a variety of those people over there Let's talk about something CM Punk said that's somewhat bothersome. He's never seen a Rocky movie? How does that happen? Uh, that kind of took me unawares as well. 
And, you know, I, he likes wrestling and the Rocky movies have an element of, you know, the wrestling, hyping the fight, babyface overcoming odds. He, he not only likes MMA, but trained in it and fought in it. And there you've got Sylvester Stallone did a lot for the profile of boxing and combat sports with all these movies. And, and if Paradise Alley had taken off, he would have done it for wrestling too. I was about to say, you know, he, he had the wrestling connection with Paradise Alley. Terry Funk thought highly of him. Hulk Hogan was in Rocky III. Um, and Punk has obviously been a wrestling fan for quite a while. I don't know how that he, even think of the hotels he's been in when you turn it's the a TV choice. on, when you come back in the room. I mean, at this point, it's not like I missed it. It's a choice to go out of your way to make sure you never see any Rocky film. What is that about? I do, it, has he had a, a, an unpleasant interaction with Sylvester Stallone? <laughs> the city no. of Philadelphia? <laughs> well, no, but I mean, you know, even the montage of the music, the song was a hit. Multiple songs were hits yeah. from the Rocky movies. They've been on cable television everywhere. You would, even if you didn't go when it first, you know, came out on a goddamn, you know, on a night at the movies, because it's been 45. How old is Punk? Uh, I think he's a, came, he's a little bit older than me. So maybe 44, 43. Rocky came out in 78. No, it did That's not. 45 years ago. Came out in 76. What? What? Was it 76? Well, there you go. Yes, you're correct, because that's the same going to fly now, hit the charts in 76. So it was out before he was born, but still, it's uh, the franchise and the idea of the thing. I think we need, we need to get Punk on this program to answer the most burning question in pro wrestling today. Can you get me Anna Jay's phone number? No. That's not it? Oh. How did you avoid, and was it a purposeful choice, how did you avoid seeing any Rocky movies ever, even by accident? I, but you, you're saying That's it. That's the burning question. You're saying it. I'm picturing it differently. I'm picturing he's in the hotel and Rocky's on. He's like, oh no, this is not going to happen. And he turns the channel. He's forcefully turning his back on the Rocky franchise. Willfully. Why? What could there be? What did, it, I, was it Jackie Stallone? The Sylvester mother? Stallone's mother. She was a a gad about type of personality. Could she have rubbed him the wrong way at some point? Maybe it was Frank Stallone. Perhaps he heard him sing. Perhaps? Perhaps he heard him sing. Perhaps he heard him sing. <laughs> he said, well, this motherfucker needs to be back on the corner with the doo-wop group. Where he, you know, that was the doo-wop group in Rocky. That's right. Frank and the boys. Perhaps it was them. What was the what was the hit he had? Frank Stallone. It was what I, I won't even say oh, hit chart. It was from a chart single. It was from one of his brother's movies, I think. Yes, yes, it was. Was it? Uh, it wasn't Burning Heart. Uh, Stallone did what? Staying Alive, which was the Saturday Night uh, Saturday. I was about to say Saturday Night Live, Saturday Night Fever sequel, which was one of the worst movies ever. I think Frank Stallone may have had a song in there. Well, I, th I was going to say he didn't do the song Staying Alive. That was the Bee Gees. Google that real quick. Frank Stallone's song that he had that actually made the charts in some fashion, probably because of one of his brother's movies. While you're Googling, on, I'll, ju I'll just play a tune here. I'm on the page for Frank Stallone. His well, I'll have you know my goddamn... 
what's the matter with that? My goddamn email just fell out. It just said, you signed out. I didn't sign out. Go ahead. His biggest hit, which went to number 10 in the U.S. charts, was the song Far From Over from the Staying Alive soundtrack. Okay, that ain't the one I'm thinking about then. He had one in one of one of uh, Stallone's movies, had a song. Maybe it wasn't even successful. Obviously, Take You Back, which was from Rocky, that was the one they were singing on the street corner. Yeah. Well, well this has been Frank Stallone <clears throat> on The Experience. All righty, should we talk about the AEW television program from this last Wednesday night? Probably not, but let's do it. All right, it was Wednesday night, March 22nd. If, if wrestling was dynamite... They couldn't blow their nose on this uh, particular episode, but they started out with the earlier today footage where both the buckaroos, Maddie and Nikki, are being loaded into the meat wagon on the stretchers, and everybody's verklempt. What's happened? What's gone on? Adam Hangnail Page is back there. He's on the phone with somebody. I'll call you back. And he decides to jump in and into the ambulance and go to the hospital with his good friends, the Buckaroos, who weren't they mad at each other last year? But nevertheless, um, and Kenny is all upset also, but Don Fallis is telling him, oh, stay here. We got a dream match tonight. So the big, t and, and that was the shot where the TV truck had the tables and the cardboard leaned up surreptitiously to obscure CM Punk's visage on the production truck, but was the big takeaway from this that Hangnail Page and Harpo, neither one, need to ever try to act again? I thought there were two big takeaways. One, that we're getting more of this really, really poorly done childish elite drama multi-week garbage series of angles. Yeah. Secondly, and you may disagree with oh, me. Oh, series of angles. I thought you meant more the the elite garbage of or drama poking, or drama constantly poking punk so that Tony Khan's job will be harder. But go ahead. Hey, look at it from their point of view. Every single time they go to work, they have to see that truck. But <laughs> on the other hand, they're lucky they're not going to work driving a fucking truck. I actually think, and I'm sure you'll disagree with me here. I thought this was a positive sign for the show. Even though it's the Bucks drama and their stuff appeals to just a childish audience, doing something at the beginning, you don't know what's going to happen. You'd want to keep tuning in to see what's going to happen. You have to figure there'll be some kind of payoff or something, a clue later in the program. This is exactly the kind of thing AEW has been missing. I don't know if I would have done it with this clown school here. Well, I was about to say that the, I understand what you're saying. The the intention, which you've talked about in the past, was the classic Raws or a good program. You, something starts at the beginning and it refreshes through the bloodline thing they've been doing, where yeah. they're constantly refreshing. You do something at the start and it's referred to or insinuated about, or something develops all the way through, and you got to hang in to see what's going on. And I agree with you also. You know, uh, picking these, but as we've as we'll see, he's not got a lot of people left on the roster to do anything with anyway. So, but yes, I understand, you know, leaving the thread of the story going through the program. And apparently we're going to find out at the end of this that 
however many people watch this show, stay and watch this show, participate in this fucking thing, that's the audience they've got under the best conditions. It would no baseball, no big goddamn basketball playoff game, nothing against them. And if they stay and watch this show, they'll watch anything. So we've established this is their fucking audience, right? But again, I'm just going to say, notwithstanding it's the Bucks and Kenny Omega and Adam Page, starting the show like this really stands out when they never start a show like this. It's always something in the ring. Let's go right to the ring. Let's get a match going. So I think this is a positive thing in terms of just audience retention. Yeah, well, and it, and it worked as we'll get to the end. And that's why I say, if they've got people that will stick through this thing in, in the optimum condition, I think you mentioned earlier when we were off the air, they didn't have a baseball game, a big sporting event against them. So this was the chance to try to hook people. And now we see what they got. But anyway, the first match was Pockets teaming with Darby Allen and Sting against Pip Sabian, the Butcher and the Baker with Penelope Pitstop in the corner. And it's hard to feel sorry for somebody that's making as much money as Sting is. I remember in 2008 in TNA, everybody kept saying, well, Sting wants to retire, but Dixie keeps throwing 500 grand a year at him to just come to TV every couple of weeks. Well, you know, Tony's paying him more 15 years later, but do you have to just shit on the fucking guy? This Staying in a match with these fucking clowns, well, I won't even group Darby in with that. He's got a little something. But Sting, that name, that legacy, that reputation, it's like a radio station had a contest to see who gets to get up on stage and sing with Mick Jagger. So it, I, it must be the money now, though, because he doesn't love the wrestling business and he can't be proud of what he's doing. So how many fucking millions of dollars is Tony Khan paying Sting at 63 or four years old, is it now? So that took 20 minutes, that match. Did I miss anything? Oh, I really didn't watch. I'm not watching any more okay. Orange Cassidy right. stuff. We've yeah, seen it's... so much of him. At this point, they're force-feeding him, and he's worse than ever before. He's lamer than ever before. The joke's more tired than it's ever been before. And I could just keep complaining the same things every week because it's the same thing every week. Same I can actually every week. put my foot down and say, I'm not watching this segment. Yeah. To me, it was a tale of two shows. It was whatever was going on in the first hour, and then I got really fucking high for the second hour and had a ball. You know, you're not helping. Sorry. Can you send me down some fucking high-quality LSD or something for this program? Well, no, we, we can't do anything interstate. I'm sorry to tell you. We? Oh, you're, you're up there at the Fulfillment House. It's all in, interstate, in, in, in the same state. The collective we. Anyway, so then for the tag team title... They had the gun boys against Top Flight. And I thought, my God, is this Rampage? And again, if it was, you know, there's no, there's no leader. It's greenness against greenness. And I like the guns. I think they got potential. The one Top Flight fella, Dante, 
he's got that unfortunate fucking moop face, but he's what an athlete he is. But, uh, you know, I can't. What the fuck? A throwaway match. They're not losing the the belts, the guns to top flight. And it's not really a squash match. So you can just see the guns do their shit. It didn't last long. That was a good thing. But Bennett and Taven, who I would have loved to have watched against either one of these teams, because I like Bennett and Taven, they come out and interfere and the guns win. So now, before they set up uh, an angle for an actual big match, or before they set up an actual big match, they the World Tag Team Champions have had another heel team interfere to help them beat an underneath undercard babyface tag team that really matters not in the overall scheme of things was did that make any sense i don't think the tag team division booking has made much sense in months well i mean i know somebody's go oh yes it made sense because bennett and taven are going to be on dark against Top flight, and that's why they cost that. They didn't cost them the title. They weren't going to win the fucking title. So what you did was you took your green tag team champions that, you know, are still on the upcoming rise to begin with, and you showed that they can't beat top flight unless another heel team interferes. And then here comes FTR. Thank fucking God. But when FTR comes out, they're confronting the guns in the ring, and the guns say, you're never going to get another title shot. There's nothing you can say or offer it. Well, goddamn Top Flight just got a title shot, and they needed help to beat them. But anyway, they did the deal where FTR said, well, if you beat us, we'll never team again. No. All right, if we don't win, we'll quit AEW forever. And then the guns say okay, and then spit in FTR's faces and jump out of the ring. <sighs> I mean, even with FTR, I, obviously they're going to put the belts back on FTR because they're milking, they're, they're going to fucking leave. Their contracts have been up. It, obviously, maybe Tony has figured I've got to get back a hold of the tag team division. This has gotten away from me with the whole acclaimed got real popular despite my best efforts. And then I didn't know what to do. So they put the belts back on FTR. They're still going to need some fucking teams. And the, the only couple of good teams they have are either never on television, Bennett and Taven, Lethal and Jarrett, or tied up in this goofy six-man tag team belt fiasco thing that was made so that the Buckaroos and Kenny could pleasure themselves on their belts. So now we've got the match where FTR will face the guns and the career versus or quit AEW versus titles. Do you think they'll really swerve us and really leave? No. It would almost be charitable at this point. I just wish we could get some focus back on anything. Did you see Jane Cargill was in the back with the fake lawyer and she said shit for no reason and the lawyer wants to bar Taya Valkyrie from using Jane's move that she stole from Beth Phoenix? 
And then they had a no disqualification match, lazy booking, between Hook and Stokely Hathaway on national television. It works if a manager is over and has heat. Me versus anybody. Fucking Bobby Heenan and the weasel suit matches. You get a top or even a mid-card babyface to beat up and humiliate the manager and put them in some ridiculous position or costume or whatever the case. But it doesn't work if it's just ridiculous bullshit done for comedy to a manager that hasn't even been established, that never gets a chance to do long promos that would mean anything, that has no top talent that's being focused on in his group, and it comes from a guy that we, again, barely ever see wrestle on television, but a couple of months ago, he grabbed Stokely's arm, and, and Stokely's been wearing a cast after that. And then they think, well, this will be like the old days when we have the manager get beat up and it'll just cause riots. Fuck. And of course, they do the deal where Stokely gives the doctor's note that he's not medically cleared. I did that 40 years ago. But he gives the, instead of a fucking note that they can see through, well, that's word is misspelled or whatever. It's a receipt from Wingstop because that's funny. And then Stokely runs into the arena and Hook gets him and they fight in the crowd and they come back in the ring and Hook pulls a section of barricade out and sets it up in the ring for what reason? To beat up a manager? You're a judo expert, you fucking hatchet-headed little prick. And while he's dicking around doing that and goes to get Stokely, Stokely has pulled the fire extinguisher out from under the ring and shoots Hook in the face. That's a baby face spot. To blind the heels, make a comeback in a street fight. You people are complete fucking morons and I was done with this whole thing. I don't know what happened. I fast forwarded to the next segment. What happened? I wasn't paying too close of attention to this. All right. Very good. I hated this first hour. I hate to say it. <sighs> well, and it, you've, drugs had nothing to do with uh, hating the first hour or enjoying the second when everybody, I would think, would have hated this that had any since but nevertheless so adam cole came to the ring for an in-ring promo and the people love him and he's going to be a big baby face coming back even though they botched it the first time when he came in maybe the concussions were serendipitous in one way that the people have forgotten what they did with adam cole when he came in to the time he got hurt now he's got a fresh start and they're motivated to fucking like him because he's overcome real medical issues. And he's seven days away from his... They're going to do it on free television with a seven-day build. <laughs> and he says, who will my opponent be? And guess whose music plays? Daniel fucking Garcia. Oh, my God. He comes. He's got sunglasses and a leather jacket on. Apparently, he's trying to look like somebody. I don't know who that somebody is. George Michael. There you go. That's what I was trying to think. But you got to have faith. 
Daniel Garcia has an odd accent. Where is he from? I think Buffalo. I don't know. The, now, here the problem is, now we've got who we know is not a real physically impressive looking fucking kid, Daniel Garcia. <laughs> Adam Cole. Well, no. Daniel Garcia is not very physically look, impressive looking. We've seen him wrestle here recently. We haven't seen Adam in a while. Oh, come on. Daniel Garcia is standing there next to Adam Cole, and it looks like a fucking 145-pound middle schooler staring down a defendant in juvenile court. Garcia's all street thugged out, and there's Adam. He looks smaller than he ever has, and he's wearing street clothes and a jacket, a windbreaker. And he looked tiny wearing that. That's and the problem. That's the thing. Adam told him off well, but first it's, you can't mean to tell me that if he's ready to come back, that you couldn't try to pop a, some kind of rating by having some major name or some top guy, Jericho perhaps. Although he'd have to do the job, so that would be Ixnade, but He's got to go through Garcia first. Well, no, but the thing is, do some type of confrontation, some type of angle, and fucking advertise the match for two or three weeks, and then have Adam Cole against another main event level guy as the main event on your television program. After cutting promos about it and telling your, doing your initial angle and telling your story. But now he comes out and says, well, seven days away. Who's my opponent going to be? Daniel Garcia. What the fuck? After nine months, this is his big return. Jesus. It's a letdown for a return match. But to me, the bigger issue is. And again, there are people there who eat up everything Adam Cole does. And Adam Cole's one of these guys who's swept up in the fans that love to sing everything and chant everything. I mean, there's a big, big fan base. That's all they care about. It's the pop audience. Mitch Miller would be popular these days with these folks. <laughs> Maybe so. But Adam Cole looks smaller than ever before. And I don't buy anything he's saying because he looks smaller than my kids. And they're going to send him Garcia. You know, Garcia, he looks like a, he's in shape for a younger guy. He's going to look great next to Adam Cole. Adam Cole's not going to look that special. And that's not the idea. It's supposed to be the other way around. And I just worry because I didn't like Adam Cole's first run at all. I'm sick of him saying Bebe in the fucking promo nonstop. I don't know if that's the reaction you're supposed to have. But he is so tiny. And I think they're going to go all the way. They're going to probably set him up for MJF at some point, you got to imagine. But I don't think he's the guy. And I'm, I worry that they may think more of Adam Cole than they should. I'm not saying, you know, don't use him. I'm not saying he's not a good, in this role, baby face for the show, but make sure you understand there's a cap on that, especially because of how he looks. He's so every, tiny. Well, I know. I mean, he's so tiny, this guy. <laughs> Just scrawny. Everybody knows I've been a fan of Adams. I liked Adam. We worked with him in Ring of Honor. He was 19 years old, and I've supported him in NXT, and I'm not, I know he's had concussions and a bad health issue, and serious, you know, uh, consequences or effects of that. And so, you know, you shouldn't come back looking like you've been training for Mr. Universe, but he was small and getting smaller before he got hurt. 
So unless there is something else that is medically or physically gone on to prevent, I don't know, eating? I don't know. But you can tell, look at MJF and look at the difference in him and three years ago and now. His physique has been transformed. He's grown up. He's changed. He's put the work in. You can't do that shit just with chemicals of some, oh, he's on a sauce or something. No, that's a lot of work. You have to, Cody, you have to actually lift you weights. Have to, you have to lift. You have to do cardio. You have to watch your diet. I mean, you have to do all kinds of strenuous, structured shit to look like that. And Cody, He's never had a physique, but now he does, and he's got a tan because he knows that's a prerequisite. That's part of the job. And and the, the guys who are taking this seriously, you see them stepping up to do it. And Cody talked about the insane kind of cardio that he did uh, to get, you know, to overcome this injury. So the point, I, I, I'm just saying I, I feel bad I felt bad for Adam's booking at first because I thought he deserved more. And now I'm like, what's going on with the incredible shrinking man? He made Orange Cassidy look like he was from Grenoble. And that was a year ago, <laughs> over a year and a half ago, whatever it was. That's going to be the problem. You know what I would do? I'd put him in charge of the video game division. Oh, quit. He likes playing video games, I heard. I'd put him in charge of the video game division. <sighs> Anyway, speaking of the video game division, Officer Bar Brady is back, and he was in the locker room of Twinkle Toes and Don Fallis. Explain to me why there are three different backstage commentators, not even counting Shivani, three different backstage announcers. There's Lexi Nair, Renee Moxley Good, Alex Marvez, and sometimes Shivani. Why do we need four different people? Because Tony likes them all. And Tony's been friends with Alec, Alex Marvez forever, and so has Uncle Dave been friends with Alex Marvez forever. So that's why Alex Marvez has been there since the very first show, because they've all been friends forever. Jericho's very good friends with him, too. And well, there you go, because they're friends forever. <laughs> anyway, um, so Kenny's wanting to go with his friends, but Phallus tells him to stay. He says, oh, those kids will be fine in a few months. So again... They're sacrificing any believability in this thing whatsoever and even any seriousness and any attempt at acting appropriately to the scene they've been put in so that Don can say cute lines that are dropping hints that, see, now Don's going to be the evil one and Kenny's going to be the good one, but Don still has a hold on him and all this fucking goofy drama so that Kenny can sit around and choke his fucking chicken and mull things over of what to do when he's conflicted amongst his fake friends on one side and his fake friends on the other side. And this was rottenly fake. I don't think Omega's as bad as... It was, it was a thread going through to the end of the show of the story. I don't think Omega's as bad in this segment as Callus's. He's just unbelievable as the wacky wrestling announcer looks like some kind of creepy richard scary worm i don't know why this guy's yeah. out there other than the fact that he's friends with jericho and friends with omega and they want he's him friends there. we've even heard the ridiculous comparison and it is nothing but ridiculous if you've ever actually uh watched tv or seen any tapes comparing him and omega to bockwinkle and heenan i mean it's just so ridiculous Well, you know where that comparison came from don't you where 
from Don Fallis and Kenny Olivier. <laughs> well, there you go. Well, there they you told go. Uncle Dave that they were going to put together a, a Bachwinkle Heenan combination, and that's what Uncle Dave printed. And then people who have never seen Nick Bachwinkle and Bobby Heenan said, oh, that's what they're doing. Anyway, the next match was the Plumber versus Braveheart. Plumber Moxley with Claudio and Useless against Braveheart Stu Grayson. Now, they just signed Stu Grayson. He was there for two years. His contract expired. He left and went away, right? Then he came back last week, and they announced they signed him. They signed him, and they beat him his first two weeks on television. So why fucking sign him? You get a local jobber to do that for $100. You're making a cut. When you sign a talent to a contract, you're making a commitment of a large amount of money to be paid to them to come and work for you. That means they should be expected to make some contribution to your company. And if you sign a guy and beat him the first two weeks flat in the middle of the ring on fucking TV, then who gives a shit about him anymore? It's Tony's inheritance. He's allowed to burn it if he wants. When the Midnight Express and I were under contract, getting jobbed out every night, we called Hurd and offered him to buy us out. Give us half what you owe us. We'll go home. He wouldn't do it because he didn't want to start that precedent. Then he gave Jimmy Garvin 150 grand to go home six months after we'd quit and left. But anyway, so now here's their contract talent. Uh, so they beat him. Because basically the bell rings, old Stu opens up with seven phony-looking punches that did not connect, nor did Moxley sell them, and then Moxley took over, and I said, fuck it, let me get to the finish of this thing. And finally, Moxley won with a double-arm suplex off the top rope. Did I mention it was... And, and Moxley, he's a heel, but people like to sing Wild Thing... So he comes out and they're all cheering and clapping and singing his song. And then he gets in the ring and tries to get heat by beating up this fucking guy. And he has the most over baby face entrance. If you talk to anyone who goes to any AEW show more than Jericho, people singing his music more than anyone, it's Moxley coming through the crowd, the wild thing. And then he's a heel makes no yeah. sense. If you want him to be a heel, drop the music. Yeah, well, that's what I was about to say. Don't play the fucking music. And, and you'll save money. And the, the only talent of the three of them is Claudio, and he's a mute second fiddle now. Did I miss anything about this match? No, not at all. Well, you know what I felt like about right now, don't you, Brian? After watching Plumber Moxley go out and ply his trade, I felt like I needed a shower. Well, that'll do it. Maybe even a bath. Maybe even a, a bath. A shower. Maybe even a bath. Maybe just go out in the backyard and be hosed off for a minute. Just to try to get some of the ick off of me. Well, let's and get you back inside to the bathroom in the shower. Well, but see, now some people, when they want to remove their ick, they have to go outside. They have to go out and they have to stand in a number two wash tub. And they have to have somebody take a garden hose and, and hose them off, shoot them down. You know why, don't you? Because they've allowed their old bathtubs and showers in their home, their fine home, their castle of which they are king. They've allowed those bathtubs and showers 
to go to complete shit. I mean rotten grout. It's called grouten. You got the mold and the mildew, the edges, people's tiles, they crack. The 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 whole thing can well really you can fall through, you know, because now you're especially if you're a fat person. If you're a fat person standing in an old shower or bathtub that has not been properly maintained, and it's on the second or third floor of the house, and you pour a bunch of water in it, well, you know that's heavy. You could fucking go right through the goddamn floor and end up sitting on top of the woman's head in the first floor apartment. Anything could happen. You don't know what's going on. So what you need to do, folks, is make sure that your shower and bath is not only up to code, but up to the cleanliness level that you would expect. Brian, I know you, you've told me you've got several children there in the home, and you wash these children at least, what, once a month now? The children shower or bathe once a day. Once a day? How many of these children have you gotten? How, many, these how long children, does it take? Yeah, I, we have and, four and of these many, children. How many bath, baths or showers would that be every day? That's a lot. Oh, that's four for four children, plus me and Suzanne have to bathe as well. You clean your wife every day, too? What? I'm telling all right, well, then, in that case, you're the prime candidate right now. All of you are going to get crotch rot and fungus under your finger and toenails from bathing and or showering in old, decrepit, worn-out showers that are not up to the current modern-day standards. And that's where our friends at West Shore Home come in the fastest-growing shower and bath remodeling company in the United States that fully replaces your old shower or bath with their modern, modern space-age designs in just one day, not even a day. We're not even talking about 24 hours. They don't come in Monday morning at 9 o'clock and leave Tuesday morning at 9 o'clock. No, they do it in less than half a day because we're talking about a work day. And everybody knows that most people only work a third of a day and then sometimes that day is Labor Day when nobody works. So they're going to be in and out of your house in about an hour and a half, folks. They will take out your old shower. Well, don't bath. guarantee that. Don't guarantee how much time. I didn't guarantee anything. If you take my word for anything, you're at, at your own risk. Folks, they'll take out your old shower or bath and install your new one. And sometimes they'll even put it back in the same place as they took the old one out. They'll do all. No, that's what they do. That's what they actually do. That's the actual job they're doing. What if you want it in a different place? You want your bath? You want them to come renovate your bathtub and move the bathtub? Well, what if if you're tired of it, you want it someplace else? Let's say you want your shower over in the corner of the kitchen, so you can save time in the morning. You can eat breakfast and take a shower at the same time. See, West Shore Home will work with the homeowner and try to accomplish your dreams. They'll. They'll get you together with their design consultants. And, and if you want to shower in your kitchen, well, they'll try their best. And you get to build your dream shower bath just the way you want it. They've got the laser etched designs. They've got built-in seats. They've got shelves. They've got doors, windows. Let's say you want a toilet seat in your bathtub so you can, again, save time and do a lot of business. It's all going down a drain. Folks, they've got space-age shit. They, it's amazing what West Shore Home can do. For the people who like to don't like to shit where they eat, well, they'll take your toilet out of your kitchen and put it in the bathroom where it belongs. They'll do all kinds of things. Folks, sometimes you don't even have to be home. They'll do some things to your home 
No, they won't, won't even stop. Know about you stop it already. Back home. I don't even understand why you can't just say what they do because what they do is such a spectacular service and it can help all the listeners. Instead, you're going all around the place. You're talking to actually one of the places you described sounded like a girl I used to date. Her place on the east side was rent controlled, had a bathtub in the kitchen. Huh. Anyway. So, folks, it's effortless for you. It takes more effort to walk your dog or to take the kids to school or to get the mail out of the mailbox or to pass a fake check or to palm off some fucking counterfeit money than to replace your old, rusty, worn-down, leaky, moldy, smelly shower with a brand-new rusty, worn-down, leaky, moldy, smelly shower courtesy of our friends at West Shore Home. They do windows and doors as well. So if you've got a hole in your house somewhere, they can probably plug it up. And right now, happiness is just a phone call away. It says that here, but then they say check out promo.westshorehome.com backslash Jim, which is not a phone number. So if I were you, I'd put my phone down and I'd get on the computer and I'd go to promo.westshorehome.com backslash Jim and you're going to get the fastest, easiest, and most convenient home remodeling information and experience that you will ever have. They'll tell you all about it. If you go right there, promo.westshorehome.com slash Jim, they'll tell you all about what they can do to your house and how by the time they get finished with it, you won't recognize it. As a matter of fact, people that live in that house will go right past it on the street and think, well, where's my home? I can't see it anymore. It doesn't look the same. It must be gone. You won't have that's any what of they'll do. No, that's not what they'll do. You will not have any of these metaphorical problems. You'll be enjoying your new bathtub and your new shower from West Shore Home. We're back to metaphors, eh? Or uh All right. Well, know, folks, multi-fours. You can, you can get back on all fours cuz I I'll get on all fours right now cuz I'm going to need my breath. You need to call West Shore Home, folks, if you live in or around Louisville, Lexington, Cincinnati, Indianapolis, Pittsburgh, Harrisburg, Philadelphia, Baltimore, Richmond, Salisbury, Virginia Beach, Winston-Salem, Charlotte, Greenville, Asheville, Knoxville, Chattanooga, Charleston, Wilmington, Myrtle Beach, Greenville, New Bern, Columbia, Atlanta, Jacksonville, Orlando, Ocala, Tampa, Birmingham, Huntsville, Montgomery, Oklahoma City, Houston, Dallas, Austin, San Antonio, Phoenix, Denver, Colorado Springs, Salt Lake City, Anaheim, Azusa, and Cucamonga! West Shore Home. Well, let's get back to uh, Dynamite, another show that needs renovation. I've got a cramp. Oh, I got a cramp in my side. Oh, oh wait, it, it, wait. I'm working it out. There comes Matt. There comes Nick. Yeah, the pain in my side's gone now. Okay. Anyway, in the back, Ricky Starks was talking about he's going to be on Rampage. Apparently, Rampage was the show everybody they wanted everybody to watch that week because they put the stars on it. What do you think about the fact Because it's not just this episode. It's multiple episodes. I mean, it's every single week. They build up Rampage. No one's watching that show. But why are they spending so much time on this show building up the show that no one watches as opposed to next week's Dynamite? They never build up next week's Dynamite. Well, one, it confuses the issue when they're just plugging endless matches for the sake of plugging them anyway and secondly i don't think they know everything they're going to do the following week on a particular wednesday night so who is the annoying girl with the accent on the annoying qtv 
segment where he thinks he's on TMZ, but it's really not not good at all. I don't know who she is, and you're right. This is not good at all. This is horrible. And the uh, the, the thing we took away from this segment, if you can call it that, was that Hobbs is going to be wrestling Penthouse on Rampage. And so that's a great way to teach Will Hobbs bad habits because he's not experienced enough to work with one of these luchadors that have all the bad habits and not, not pick up a bad one. He's not experienced enough yet to know that nothing that Penthouse does is something that he should actually ever do or try to do. He's not, and he's not going to learn any timing. He's not going to learn anything from that unless you want to learn, unless he wants to move to Mexico and work with luchadors, in which case none of the shit has to make any sense. But go ahead. I'm sorry. Powerhouse Hobbs wins the title on the Wednesday after the pay-per-view, needs QT Marshall's help in what is suddenly a no-DQ, anything-goes match. The next week we see him on TV, he's part of this QTV crap, sitting there, hamming it up with everyone. This week he's not even on that. <laughs> is this, They're speaking for him. Does this do a better job of building up powerhouse Hobbs, or would him just being on TV doing promos or squashing someone do a better job? This doesn't make me want to see a guy that I'm a fan of. Uh, well, speaking of not wanting to see things, the girls' segment was up next, Blue Sky versus Tony Storm with Britt Baker and Ruby Soso. And again, seriously? So, Tony wins the match, and then they go to paint blue-green and then here came Willow and Riho, still with the fake lead pipe. So now we're expected to believe that she carries it. It's not something she picked up in the back of the building left over from some construction, but she carries this specific fake, obviously phony 12-ounce lead pipe around in her carry-on bag when she's on the airlines because it's the same one every week. Did right? you see? Did you see her swinging it around as she ran? Down? Yes, it was like she was a baton, like a cheerleading major, <laughs> and she's got this lead pipe that allegedly should weigh more than she does, and then she's pointing with it, like the you know the dramatic. And my God, she was in a pink dress, and ran all three of the heels off, and the, just the visual. If she swallowed a kernel of corn, it would look like she was pregnant with triplets. It was like Adam, it was like Adam Cole trying to scare off the other women. Duh. I, I, again, if they run ins with lead pipes in girls' matches with painting angles afterwards and blah blah blah, no wonder none of this shit means anything because everybody does it. I can't wait where they start having the fucking tape from backstage where the concession stand people are going to be getting in fights and bashing each other over the head with the fucking drink trays. It'll be better than this stuff. Well, and, and they went from this, the women with the lead pipe to in the back where Moxley got a hold of old Braveheart and choked him out back there. The BBC is, it was beating up Stu Grayson and Again, Moxley is convinced, somehow he's convinced himself, I guess because he has no mirrors in his house, that he's a badass. 
But it's like almost everything else on this program. Nothing in and of itself necessarily may be bad as an idea to do, but all of it together is bad as ideas to do. And most of the people who are doing these things look ridiculous in their roles. Riho running people off with lead pipes. Moxley trying to be a cross between Bruiser Brody and goddamn Terry Funk when he looks like a cross between a homeless fucking crack addict and a goddamn Jiffy Lube employee. It just, it, they have... Wrestling, it was always said, was a business where if you didn't like who you were, you could become someone else, right? But no, apparently you can't because it's never been a situation where people that were obviously not that person were still allowed by the promoter or the booker to try to be that person that they are in their mind, but it doesn't... There, I guarantee you, nobody from Texas thinks Adam Page is a fucking cowboy. I don't think it, most guys that I know from Virginia would go look at that fucking pussy. And no, it's just nobody fits the. They're a bunch of socially maladjusted, easily offended, fucking hurt feeling nerds that want to be people and things that they're not. And can't stand it when somebody calls them out on not looking anything like or acting anything like who they're supposed to fucking be. Oh, boy. And now we come to the main event. Speaking of who the fuck is that guy supposed to be? El Hijo del Vikingo was matched up with Twinkle Toes with his... Manager, El Hijo of a Bicho. Um, it, what the fuck? This was a dream match because it was supposed to happen in Mexico two years ago and it got canceled. And so now Tony's brilliant idea is to put it on fucking national cable television and, and tell people a week ahead of time, oh, it's a dream match with El Hijo del Vikingo. And everybody go, who? Except for the fucking most tuned in, dedicated people who go, oh, he's from Mexico. No angle, no promos, no, they did a package with the guy flipping. But on this again, show, they didn't do that last on week. On this to build show, up this yeah. Match. When the people were already in the building, they went around and said, would you like to buy a ticket? Uh, but, and they, this 25 minutes was left on the air when this thing started. And I was like, oh God, I've never seen El Hijo del Vikingo. When he came out, his outfit looked like Mantar and Captain James T. Kirk had a baby. Furry horns on top and a Starfleet tunic. Am I lying? No. And the tunic he had to keep pulling down all through the, like, is, was this his brand new Sunday go to meeting clothes he had made? He's never worn this before. So bear in mind, ladies and gentlemen, who were lucky enough not to have witnessed this, El Hijo del Vikingo is five foot three. 
and about 140 pounds, and he's wearing a full body outfit that he was trying to think would add about 20 or 25 pounds to him. He was barely taller than the top rope, and he is, as one would expect, a gymnast with a stone face that would make Gargano or Buster Keaton proud. And it looked like one of Kenny's matches with a nine-year-old. And you know somebody actually on Twitter, when I retweeted one of the, the clips here a week or so ago, somebody passing around, of, well, here's Goofball in one of his greatest moments. They thought that I was actually saying he was wrestling people in Japan the size of nine-year-olds, but they couldn't fathom that I said, no, he's having professional wrestling matches with nine-year-olds. And they saw that fucking tape and they said, oh my God, you weren't lying. This is what that looked like. It's, again, El Hijo del Vikingo is a great gymnast. He did all kinds of flipping cannonballs and things. He reminds me of that Reggie that was on the WWE for a while. They got from Cirque du Soleil. He's tiny and did a bunch of wonderful acrobatic flips, but he didn't know how to fucking wrestle, and you couldn't take him seriously if he'd learned because he was fucking minute. This was a video game wrestling match where they did a series of moves with no relation to each other back and forth. The amount of time that Kenny was standing there with his mouth agape and his hands out waiting to catch his dance partner while the other guy went up to the top and got set to come flipping off or whatever the fuck. It was amazing. Their gymnastic performance. But it was, a, you know, a child acrobat with a grown man spotter doing, a, a, at one point, Kenny set up a table at ringside. Why? It wasn't a no DQ match. He was already beating the shit out of the guy. He stops beating the shit out of this guy that's a foot shorter and 75 pounds lighter than he is to go set up a fucking table that he doesn't need to give the guy a break so he can make a comeback on him. And then they went through a break and there was more flipping and a contrived exchange on the apron near the table so they could tease that obvious cooperation. And again, that was the worst one where Kenny was actually standing there with his mouth hanging open and his arms out like jump, jump, I'll catch you so that Dipshit could come off the top rope with a Hurricane Rana off the apron onto the floor on Kenny. And people retweeted that like, oh my God, it's so great. It looked phony. You could see through it a mile away. And it probably hurt. So they're really stupid. They're doing shit that looks phony and hurts themselves. And then <laughs> they took forever to get up on the top rope so that Viking O could give Kenny O a Hurricane Rana O, where he landed on his head almost. Then the other guy did the flip off the ropes and landed both knees in Olivier's fucking stomach. I'm glad he only weighs 140. It wouldn't end. Then the guy did another reverse Hurricane Rana. It nearly broke Kenny's neck and did a double cannonball, a double flipping cannonball. So finally he puts Kenny on the table. And then he gets back in the ring. 
And then he has the look on it. Brian, have you ever watched diving competitions? Not really, not much. Uh, on Wide World of Sports in the old days, back when there was only three channels, you you had to sit through some of the diving competitions to get to the Globetrotters segment. I know Thornton Mellon, that's it. Well, there you go. The diver, he will go out to the end of the the board and he'll look down and he'll have the look on his face and then he'll walk back and then he'll look and he'll get his mental state ready and then he'll do the run and do the little thing like Kenny does with his knee, hit a little canterbury and then he'll fucking die, right? So old Viking O puts Kenny on the table at ringside on the floor and then gets in the ring and then I swear to God, turns around and looks at the far ropes and has the look on his face like the diver, and then does the run toward the ropes like he's running down the diving board and hits the ropes on the far side. And of course, when he comes back, Kenny's still there. And he does a double forward flip over the top rope into a cannonball and puts Kenny through the table. Did you see the slow-mo replay that somebody put on Twitter of this? I did see that, and I saw where his head hit. The dumb shit that was flipping over the top rope, putting Kenny through the table, came down fast, and the back of his head hit the edge of the ring apron, which is as hard as the edge of the table that I'm on right now, or that I'm sitting at. And it should have knocked him out, and probably the only reason it didn't was because of adrenaline. But And then the fucking midget sells nothing throughout this whole thing. He'll sell it, but then it's 10 seconds later, he's 100% and 100 miles an hour because they got another move to do. And, but again, the thing is with this... Tony is risking, he's got another top guy that he's paying a lot of money to that had multiple surgeries and was out for nine months, Kenny. Who we hear is in a lot of pain. Who we hear is in a lot of pain, certainly treats it a lot. And they put him in a match to do this shit with some unknown fucking midget that nobody will ever give a shit about. And can you, I don't know if he can even speak English, do a promo. Can you see this guy in the main event of a pay-per-view? But he's putting Kenny through tables. He's giving him these ridiculous reverse hurricane ranas. He's landing him nearly on his head. He's doing flips and coming off the top rope and landing in the guy's midsection. Yes, he only weighs 140 pounds, but he's a 140-pound cannonball with elbows and knees. And to have to have this for no reason except... To, the masturbation of Kenny and Tony and everybody else that likes to be a human video game, you're risking a top talent for no reward whatsoever. So anyway, finally, Kenny hit the one-winged fairy, one, two, three. And again, we're going to draw a comparison when we talk about SmackDown between Cody Rhodes's 20-minute match and... Kenny's 20-minute match, but in this case, Kenny is supposed to be a main event level guy, and it takes him 20 minutes and every move that he knows to beat an unknown child-sized dipshit that he's got by a foot in height and 75 pounds in weight. Did you hear it was given five stars in the Observer? <laughs> I'm serious. 
I, I, why, why would I doubt that you are serious? Of course it was. Of course it was, because it was better than Flair and Steamboat. It was better than Hart and Austin. It was better than Michaels and fucking Razor. It was, but what? Of course it was. Well, that's what I'm talking. When, when you can't even pick your spots to where you can be minorly critical just to say you've done it and then praise the other shit, people might way halfway believe it. But when instead you just, oh my God, yes, that that fucking defecation with whipped cream was the best dessert I've ever had. Then people start going, okay, now we we just can't. We can't take this fucking ride with you anymore. Anyway, speaking of a ride, as soon as that thing is over, the BBC hits the ring and attacks Twinkle Toes. And Claudio's shit looked good. A lot of it's just the lousy-looking fake stomps that everybody thinks they need to do these days. But then suddenly, on the screen, on the video screen, there's an ambulance. And it's screeching the, the siren, and it pulls up, and Hangnail Page jumps out. He stole it and came back from the hospital. I swear to God, now they think he's Stone Cold Steve Austin. You can tell Tony loved Raw on Monday nights in 1998. Because here comes this fucking empty-headed dipshit that's never done a thing in the wrestling business. And now he thinks he's Stone Cold Steve Austin. And not only does he walk in the arena carrying a board, but they still have to play his music. He's on camera coming into the back of the arena. And then they still have to play his music for him to come out. Here he comes. And he's got a board. Did I mention he's got a board? He had a board. And the heels bail out, and he's standing there, standing tall, as they say. And Don Fallis comes up behind him and grabs his arm, like, what's going on? Because Kenny's still down selling, doesn't know what's going on. And Hangnail jerks away from Don, and Don takes a purposeful fake bump, a phantom bump, next to Kenny on the mat, and then Kenny gets up mad at Paige and yelling at him like, Why, why'd you hit my manager? Oh, for fuck's sake, we know he's an idiot, but all he has to do is watch television. So now it's going to be Kenny wants to do what's right, but Don's in his ear, and Hangnail will probably be instrumental in getting his head right or whatever what did i miss out of this mess in terms of all the drama to me it's a giant step backwards this is all the stuff we saw on AEW tv a few years ago i don't think too many people were wanting more of this kind of stuff we need top guys doing top things you know mjf's now working i guess with the um four pillars we mjf wasn't even on this show jared they had a little package of last week's interaction but yeah, and a backstage promo from last week. So I don't know about that. In terms of the match, I knew what to expect. So I went out with my finest sativa, <laughs> did a few bong hits, came in and enjoyed the match for what it was. I wasn't watching it to see a wrestling match. I told you last week, this guy does tumble salts better than anyone in wrestling history. I mean it. I've never seen anyone do it as well as he does. Now, he almost caved in his skull on one of them. He almost caved in Kenny's ribs on another one. That comes with the... Uh, the tumble salt. That comes with the tumble salt. So I enjoyed it for what it was. At one point, I was 
so into it. I was like, man, this could be a star-making performance. And then it just kept going and going and going and going. I've seen every tumble salt this guy could do now, unless he comes off the uh, the loge or the uh, mezzanine. So I knew what to expect, and I liked it for what it was. I didn't think it was five stars or the greatest match of all time. Like you said, too many spots. You can't give something five stars if there's so many spots where it's clear that people are just waiting for something to happen. And you pointed it out, you know, in terms of the diving comparison. And he's not the only one to do it. El Hio do Vikingo, I believe, is the actual pronunciation they use. Yeah. The thing where your opponent's in front of you and you turn, you don't even run right away. It's like you take a deep yeah. breath, like, okay, I guess I have to do this. But you don't have to do this. Your opponent's in front of you. There's so many other options and things you could do <laughs> as opposed to turn and run the other way. I'm sick of that shit. So I enjoyed it. I don't think it was five stars. I certainly don't think it was the greatest match in television history, as apparently some fans did. What? Yeah, no, there were people who thought it was the best match in Dynamite history, AEW history, television wrestling history. Oh, boy. Just insanity. But that's, that's what it was. And again, the angle they started the show with, you got a little something for that at the end if you stuck around. So not excusing it being the elite drama with Adam Page being anxious and worried about everything and the fucking callous omega crap because this stuff sucks but the idea that tony khan started the show with something and ended the show with something that's the one big positive i have well did it pay off for him because i understand they kept their viewers again it seemed is this almost now a conscious effort it seems like they're saying okay one time we did a really rotten show, we kept the viewers. So let's try to do a rotten show on purpose. Is it people are calling their friends and going, hey, you're not going to believe what they put on now. Tune in. Was it no competition from sports? Was it the thread of the story of who shot Matt and Nick running through the program? Or what the fuck can explain this? Well, I have the information here, Jim. This information was compiled by Brandon Thurston at WrestleNomics. AEW Dynamite for March 22nd, 954,000 viewers on average. So they were up 100,000 viewers from the previous week, approximately, right? It was the highest rating since February 22nd. Do you think? When did this stuff with Punk come no. out on instagram was it was it wednesday during the day no it was after or was this. it after okay it was after this so we're back to the idea of did do did people hear dream match with this guy we've never heard of and think well it must be us <laughs> this guy has to be great because they're calling it a dream match we got to see what the fuck he looks like could that have been something it could have been. Again, I'm a believer that when you start a show with something and you let the fans at home know that there will be something throughout the show to continue this and you get something at the end, these are the kind of things that make people invest in the show. Like the bloodline. I'm not comparing this crap to the bloodline. The bloodline stuff is so good, I'll sit through Liv Morgan and Raquel Gonzalez doing whatever the hell they do. Yeah. Because I'm waiting for more bloodline. So maybe this is their... Bloodline. Maybe this is the main line. I really don't know what this is. But highest rating since February 22nd. Uh, for the record, February 22nd, I pulled that up. Orange Cassidy versus Wheeler Yuta. Jericho and Peter Avalon angle. 
Remember, that was the last, really, the show we said, what the fuck? This is the most rotten shit they've ever done. Revolution Tag Team Battle Royal. <laughs> and then Evil Uno versus Moxley. I'm telling you, it's word of mouth. How bad can it get? They're tuning in to laugh at it. Anyway, go ahead. Let's go through these quarter hours. The quarter hours for this past week. 8 to 8.15 p.m. quarter one. Darby Allen, Sting, and Orange Cassidy versus The Butcher, The Blade, and Kip Sabian with Picture in Picture. 1,016,000 viewers. All righty. That's our baseline from the, uh, from the Big Bang. Segment 2, 8.15 to 8.30 p.m. The finish of the previous match, the MJF video from last week, and the beginning of the Guns versus Top Flight with Picture in Picture, 894,000 viewers. Jesus, okay. Uh, apparently a lot of people are going to come back because that's a loss of 122,000 in 15 minutes. And it's also pockets, again, starting the show Week after week after week, I don't After think. week after week. Yeah. Weekly, very weekly. Hey, listen, he's been a part of the problem for the last several weeks, so whatever improvement in the rating for this week there was, you can't look at him for any of the credit. Because this segment right here, it went from 1,016,894,000. That's Orange Cassidy. That's not Sting. People aren't tuning out because Sting's on the show. <laughs> segment three. Well, but now, to be fair, Pip Sabian was involved. Yeah, how does he still have a job? Isn't that amazing? <laughs> anyway, segment three. The last three minutes of the Guns versus Top Flight. The FTR Live promo. Jade Cargill's backstage promo. Stokely Hathaway's live promo. And Stokely Hathaway versus Hook. 988,000 viewers. Now, how the fuck? How does that gain a, a, a 94,000 viewers? This is very odd. Jade Cargill. Oh, come on. She's the She's only on star the they have in that women's division. She's the only one that's ever shown any positive movement. You just in the like ratings. Jane because of her debut. I just think she's actually a talent. Uh, if she had the right booker, maybe she could do something. Segment okay, but it, it, again, it's a backstage interview, and it's 80-something thousand people, and it never happens in any of her other segments. You don't so. think 80,000 people would tune in to see Layla Gray? No. No, I don't. Maybe if she was booked right, but let's move on here. Segment four, 8.45 to 9 p.m., the Adam Cole-Daniel Garcia live promo and confrontation, as well as Kenny Omega and Don Callis being accosted by Alex Marvez in the locker room. 942,000 viewers. Okay, so they're back down another 46, and that doesn't surprise me. That's not surprising. The next segment, segment five, the nine o'clock hour, 9 to 9.15 p.m., John Moxley versus Stu Grayson with Picture in Picture, as well as the Dark Order, Blackpool Combat Club, post-match, and Ricky Starks' backstage promo, 951,000 viewers. And they're about to, that surprises me. Actually, they didn't lose at the top of the hour, but they got 9,000 back. Segment six, 9.15 to 9.30 p.m. The factory, or the QTV video, <laughs> as well as Tony Storm versus Sky Blue with picture in picture, 
911,000 viewers. I'll tell you what, not, losing only 40,000, that's where they've picked up their average because that's the girls' segment and the end of, or the uh, last half hour of the show or so that usually starts losing massive numbers, right? And they, they didn't. So this is added to their positive average. And to your question about were people intrigued by this main event, next two segments will give you the answer, maybe. Segment 7, 9.30 to 9.45 p.m., the post-match angle of the previous match, which included the outcasts, Riho and Willow Nightingale, Riho, Willow, as well as the Moxley, Stu Grayson backstage angle, and the beginning of Kenny Omega versus El Hijo del Vikingo with picture-in-picture, picture, 965,000 viewers. Wow, okay, so people bought, uh, let's see, 54,000 of them bought that this was a dream match, even if they've never heard of the fucking guy, and they came around to see what he looked like. And that's the, is that the biggest number they've done that late in the show, maybe ever? No, because the next quarter, oh. the final quarter, oh. segment eight, 9.45 to 10 p.m., Kenny Omega versus El Hijo del Vikingo continued, as well as the post-match with the Blackpool Combat Club and Adam Page and Don Callis, 969,000 viewers. <laughs> they actually got 4,000 more. Again, so was it the was it the hospitalization of the Buckaroos? Let's see what's going to happen at the end. Was it they're calling it a dream match? I got to see what this guy looks like, the curiosity. Well, here's another thing to tell you, because I've been pointing out to you the last several weeks the key demo and how it starts one place and it usually ends much lower. It started this week at 391,000 viewers. It ended this week at 455,000 viewers. So very, and, and for the possibly only time ever, and definitely the only time ever since we've been looking at the ratings of this program, the lowest rated quarter hour was the second one. Orange Cassidy. I'm, I'm not even joking. Well, I'm not I saying mean, that, we don't that, like them. That it's... does make some kind of sense, but if, I mean, before they put every big star that they could possibly fucking gather, and every major match they could possibly gather, and can't keep the fucking audience, and can't keep twenty five or thirty or thirty five percent of the audience from bailing, and for some unknown fucking midget from the goddamn Mexican version of Cirque du Soleil, they increase viewership. I'm willing to ch chalk this one down as an anomaly. They started this is the match completely a a a, a, a anti-pattern of them usually. They started the match hot. So if you tuned in to see whoever this guy that Kenny Omega was going to wrestle was, the first thing you saw was him flying through the air, flipping through the air. Yeah, so. but he's still five feet tall. Does that not matter anymore to anybody? <laughs> that this is ridiculous. I think if you're watching this, you're bypassing. If you're watching that. this, you're yeah. You want ridiculous. You want to see this guy flip all over the place. That's what oh, you're watching boy. this to see. Well, there you go, boys. You you got one for once. Let's see what you follow it up with. I don't think it should become like Raw or even Nitro in the '90s, but show long stories that aren't insulting, done well, like the Bloodline are the key to wrestling right now, wrestling TV. That's the only thing shown, because SmackDown, when you look at SmackDown ratings, it's pretty steady. 
it's not like dynamite where people just dive off the show. So I wouldn't be surprised if we start seeing more of this. I just, I can't, even if they did have a story going on, I can't imagine that we've come to a point where people watching a wrestling program would actually see Hook versus Stokely Hathaway or Kenny versus Hervé Villachez. Oh, come on. Fucking, and not just go, oh, for fuck's sake, and, and tune it out. <laughs> Yeah, for for years, me and everybody involved in that company when I was there and everywhere else I've ever been, we worked to find big stars and put on good shows. We didn't know that the key to it was putting on something that so many people would fucking hee-haw at that they'd call their friends, say, you got to see this shit. And remember, Kenny and the Viking did not do as well in the ratings as Hook and Stokely did. So maybe I think uh, they should put the belt on Stokely. But that's true. Um, even the, yeah, they beat, uh, let's see, that's 10,000. Uh, Hook and Stokely beat Twinkle Toes and Hervé by 19,000 viewers. Oh, boy. All right. Well, that was dynamite. You know what? The whole thing has made me a little ill to my stomach. That's not good. Well, it's not good at all because, you know, your stomach is where it's the center of the universe. It's where everything happens. That's right. That's because true. you're... Your stomach and your digestive health, I mean, you eat, you intake food for sustenance, you intake water for lubrication or hydration or whatever. Your your stomach is a very important thing. That's where you get your gut instincts, where you know how to, what decisions to make and, and how to tell right from wrong. And if you're just, if you've got an unhealthy gut, then you don't know right from wrong and you're probably going to go to prison. Because you're going to be well, committing crimes. Well, let's not so, make that leap. That's a big leap you just well, made. Well, no. If, if, you, if you do not know right from wrong, then you're going to commit crimes and you're going to go to jail. Well, you may that's, be an innocent person that doesn't know right from wrong and then mind your own business, but you just well, don't know right from wrong. Ignorance of the law is no excuse. Well, I didn't say the law. You're saying the law. I'm not saying they're going to break the law. Well, that's what I said. I said they're going to, they don't know right from wrong. They're going to break the law. They're going to go to jail. And ignorance of the law is no excuse. And also, ignorance is no excuse for the law. Let me tell you what else is ignorant. The idea that you wouldn't take care of your gut when it's the only one you've got. I mean, there's all kinds of people going on diets and adopting eating plans that are sugar-free and vegan and soy-free and sesame-free and gluten-free, peanut-free, glyphosate and AMPA-free, dairy-free, shellfish-free, corn-free. There's all kinds of, there's allergens, you know. There's all kinds of allergens that you have to eliminate these things from your diet, all because you got bad gut health. Well, let me tell you something. Seeds DS01 Daily Symbiotic is a plant-based prebiotic and probiotic. It's both before the biotics and for the biotics, but not against the biotics like an antibiotic. It's got 24 strains in this Seeds DS01 Daily Symbiotic. 24 strains that have been clinically or scientifically studied for benefits. What kind of benefits? You had jobless benefits, unemployment benefits? Those aren't the benefits. There's been a, well, you're going to be unemployed if you have bad gut health. Because if you're going around farting, it would gag a maggot off a gut wagon all the time. They're going to they're gonna fire you. 
Folks, with this Seeds DS01 Daily Symbiotic, it will teach you right from wrong. And it will make sure that you don't commit crimes and go to jail. All you got to do is take two capsules once a day on an empty stomach. Could be the first thing in the morning, say half an hour before your first meal, or a couple hours after your last meal at night. Or if you work the third shift, well, you do the math and figure it out. Because this stuff is engineered to survive powerfully your external and internal environments. They even make the capsules viable for digestion in your gut for delivery of an average of 100% of the probiotic. It's, it's all going to your colon. Not a bit of it's going to get trapped on the colon highway that go, leads to your colon. Everything is going straight to your colon, and you know where your colon is, folks, and we got to take care of our colons at all costs. And the outer capsule of the Seeds DS01 Daily Symbiotic. Brian, I know you'll be thrilled to figure out. The outer capsule serves as a barrier to oxygen, moisture, and heat, so you don't need to refrigerate this stuff. You just stick it down your gullet, and then it's natural, and it dissolves into all of your orifices and organisms. And, well, then you'll never have to exercise again. You'll instantly lose 20 years off your chronological age. That's not and true. And you'll probably be, be better looking also, and it will grow hair back. And you should, no, stop saying all these things, and you should certainly exercise. It will not grow hair back. That is not a promise that the sponsor's making. Jim is saying that metaphorically or multiphorically. Um, and whatever well, else you Well, it can do said, a lot of good things for you. It maintains blood cholesterol levels. It supports healthy intestinal recycling of cholesterol and bile and Heaven knows we recycle a lot of bile here on this program, and it's a, it's a thankless job. Folks, if you're interested in discussing gut barrier integrity, gut immune function, or micronutrient synthesis, you probably don't get laid a lot if you're interested in discussing those things, but they're important things that the people at Seed will be more than happy to help you with. All you got to do is read the information. This is all scientifically and clinically designed and proven. If I'm telling you, your, your, your gut health journey with seed is going to be a fun journey down the yellow brick road and across the Hershey Highway till you come to the fork in the road, and then you stop and get out and cut off your Slauson. Right now, folks, avoid gut mania. And head to the trusted source for symbiotics. Start a new healthy habit today. Visit seed.com, S-E-E-D.com, slash Jim, and use the code Jim to redeem 20% off your first month of the aforementioned Seeds DS01 Daily Symbiotic. You need more fiber. You need more cholesterol. You need more stuff in your gut. That's exactly what Seed's going to do for you. Seed.com slash Jim. Use the code Jim. 20% off your first month of that DS01 daily symbiotic from Seed.com. Brian, the best thing to do for your health and for your family's health is to, to go to Seed. That's right. Seed. All right. Well, what the heck is going on in the world of Arcadian Vanguard these days? An action-packed week, and I mean packed this week, on the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. Get information about all the shows on Twitter, at Super Podcasts, or on Facebook, at facebook.com slash Vanguard. The wrestling news, every single day, for free. Get all the latest wrestling news 
for free in a compact wrestling newscast every morning. Get it directly from thewrestlingnews.com or subscribe wherever you find your favorite podcast to Arcadian Vanguard's The Wrestling News. This week, the 250th episode of Stick to Wrestling with John McAdam. His guest is me, the great Brian Last. Hear me out of my normal element here on this wacky show with Stick to Wrestling at McAdamPod.com. Or what this- elements are you submerged in over there then? Formaldehyde? I'm not allowed to talk about that here at this time. But look for Stick to Wrestling with John McAdam wherever you find your favorite podcasts. This week on Shut Up and Wrestle with Brian Solomon, his guest has a name that is slipping me at this moment, but he's writing a book about the history of TNA. So you want to hear this wacky story, go to suawpod.com or look for Shut Up and Wrestle with Brian Solomon wherever you find your favorite podcast. And I apologize, I can't remember this guy's name. This week on Breaking Kayfabe with Baldrin and Barry, the new author Steve Kern joins the show to talk about his new book. Hear that today at BaldrinPod.com. At least you remembered his name. I remember his name. Or go to look for Breaking Kayfabe with Baldrin and Barry wherever you find your favorite podcasts. And of course, the 605 Super Podcast, The Mothership! I got to stop punching the air when I do that because my fucking shoulder's all messed up. <sighs> Go through the archives, 605pod.com, wherever you find your favorite. This hurts. Wherever you find your favorite podcast, go good. through the archive. The good Mothership. What do you mean good? You leave me you alone. Get, you get what you deserve. Why do I deserve that? You deserve that. Because you've been assaulting my ears for years. See, I'm I'm a poet and don't know it, but my feet show it because they're long fellas. That's what Mama Cornette used to say. But you've been assaulting. She used to say, that's where I learned it. Now you're abusing what Mama Cornette used to say, so I don't know what's real and what isn't. No, she would say that. If you would say something accidentally that rhymed, she'd say, well, you're a poet and don't know it, but your feet show it because they're long fellas. See there? All right, well, you showed me. Well, put, put me in my place on my mothership. Don't, don't get out of place again. I'll have to fucking adjust you <laughs> some more. All right. My back? Whatever needs adjusting, I can crank it up for you. My toes? Uh, From your nose to your toes. Make your knees freeze and your liver quiver. Did Mama Cornette say that? No, that was Dream Machine. Oh. All right, anyway. So on... Friday, March the 24th, they decided again, as they do every week, to present SmackDown, and we were there to cover it, Brian. And Well, well, when you say we were there, we were home watching TV. Yeah, yeah, right there watching that TV show. They're ready to cover that TV show. Nobody thinks we were actually goddamn on the premises. That would require travel. Where were they? They were in Las Vegas or someplace, weren't they? Yeah, it was Las Vegas or someplace. I think it may have been Vegas. Could have been Reno, Lake Tahoe, down there in Laughlin, somewhere in out in Nevada. Anyway, the opening match, and again, it it doesn't surprise me that Cody couldn't fit in in the you know, in the environment that he was previously in because everything that we rant and rave about it was summarized on how to not do those egregiously dumb things happen in the first 30 minutes of this program. With Cody's match with 
from from the Imperium, old Kaiser Wilhelm, and he had his partner Marcel Marceau in his corner. But this is a string now. Every time that Cody has wrestled, he knows how to pick his opponents. Even a shush boy, yes, the gimmick's horrible, but what an athlete if he hadn't been ruined. But for that to get Cody over, to do Cody stuff, athletic, solid workers that are not going to, you know, be too clumsy or to take his stuff or going to be easy enough to move around and, and, you know, stay with his pace and not slow him down and et cetera. And he knows how to get time without demonstrating to the fans that he can't beat the other guy for 20 minutes with everything, every fucking piece of knowledge, every move, every strike that he has in his repertoire, it still takes him 20 minutes to beat a middle card guy. No, this, he structures his match. It makes sense. There's distractions. There's a heel outside. Then Paul comes out to watch, uh, to scout. And, you know, he, he mixes his matches up where he gives them some wrestling, some spots, a little fighting on the floor, but he doesn't bury the referee, stand there with Pete in hand. While they're out there for two minutes, he takes them up and down. He sells for the fucking guy in reasonable fashion, but stays alive at the same time. As he's starting a little comeback, because they're going long, Solo is out, which is a distraction. And old Kaiser's <laughs> chop block clip to Cody's leg from behind was not exactly the fucking glory days of Ric Flair. I don't know if he's af afraid he'd fucking break him like a toothpick or what, but he was very careful. Do something else if you can't do that. But then they go through another break and they come back. Cody makes a big comeback, finally hits the Cody cutter and his finish, the crossroads that he had tried to get into twice before, but had been foiled before he did it. So the guy never actually kicked out of it. But third time he tries it, he hits it. Boom. One, two, three. He won decisively. And there were reasons that it took him 15 minutes to beat this guy. But at the same time, you know, he gets over and it gives them their programming. And it was a good match that you could enjoy and, and understand what the fuck was going on. It, everything that we rant and rave about on the other channel with their main event guys going 20 minutes with fucking Action Andretti or whatever out of the blue, but that it takes them sledgehammers and roofing nails and goddamn, you know, anthrax and everything else to beat Somebody you might never see again. Do you understand what I'm saying, Brian Last? I understand what you're saying. I didn't do think I was the problem. The people. <laughs> do the people. These people? Any people. Any people. Do the people understand anymore what's going on? Some people do. Some people don't. Some people don't need to understand. They need to sit back and watch. And what you said earlier is true. Cody's been used better here than he ever was in AEW, and part of the problem is AEW itself. Cody wasn't as nice as CM Punk. He took the very nice diplomatic way out. 
But the other problem was Cody wasn't prepared to be completely in charge of Cody and Tony Khan wasn't going to be a good filter the way whoever Vince, Paul, anyone over there would be. Or the other Paul uh, in WWE. <laughs> so I think we're seeing the very, I've said it the last several weeks, we've seen the best of Cody. We're seeing good matches. Well, maybe for me a little bit too much now of the, I don't know what you call it, the jump on the rope and jump backwards into anything, just the Cody cutter or this. Well, cutter this. I mean, yeah, we're, we're grading on a curve because that, that might not have flown in one era where again, everybody didn't just stand there, but at this point he's doing it well and hitting it smooth. So I guess, you know, we do have to go somewhere into the future. And his promos are the best of his career right now. Yeah. So, I mean, everything's kind of working out perfectly. It's amazing that, you know, if he comes out of WrestleMania, as so many think he will, as the WWE Universal Champion or World Champion, whatever they call it at that point, the story of him leaving to start AEW and then coming back and winning the title is an incredible story. And remember I said earlier in this marathon program we've done, he looks great also physically. He He's taking this seriously. He knows that to be honest, you know, he was always in shape. I'm not saying he was, you know, fucking slacking off, but he was not a, you know, Mr. Universe candidate. Even, uh, what, a year and a half ago or two before the injury, he's really taken the training and the rehab seriously, and he's got a tan, and he's, you know, he looks good because he knows that's part of the part in the movie that he's playing right now, the starring role, rather than whatever it was over there at community theater. Yeah, if you want someone to be in shape, have someone who's really motivated coming off rehab because they've been training yeah. their ass off and then they're just going to be ready to keep pumping that up through WrestleMania. Actually, should we, we should say physical therapy rather than physical, physical therapy. rehabilitation. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's what one time I'm at Vince's house in, I can't even remember who the individual was, but it was somebody was hurt and we're at writing day, right? And, you know, so Vince says something about, okay, well, we need to make sure to do a package there. They've been in rehab. And I said, "What? wait a minute now, Vince. I said, these days, that has more than one meaning. Shouldn't we say physical rehabilitation or physical therapy rather than just rehab? And he, oh, good point, pal. Yeah, you're the one who started him on that trend of just changing everything to, should we call it hospital? Is it an old term? No, should we call I, no, it? I, I never it's said. It's you. That, it no, was all you. No, I said <laughs> we should be more specific rather than vaguer. <laughs> See, I was going in the other direction. He was going to the vague and the 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 uh, tenuous. I'm going to the clear and the more detailed instead of the opaque. All right, anyway, speaking of opaque, so after that match, that's when Paul's already out there, Solo's already out there, and Cody, Jesus, his cardio also, I think I saw something on the internet about him doing an interview somewhere where he said he's really been doing cardio like a beast to get his, you know, during his rehab. Uh, Running and, from Brandy's cooking. And well, there you go, around the kitchen. Um, but after that match, to be able to stand there and not be heaving and participate in the promo without you know, really being blown up, that was pretty impressive also. But Paul cut a promo on him on himself and WrestleMania, and they revealed it this Monday on Raw, Cody will face Solo, so they've been kind of teasing that, and if he makes it through that, 
then Roman Reigns is going to be here next Friday night on SmackDown, one night before the start of WrestleMania fucking day. Is it not WrestleMania weekend? I guess that is the official start of WrestleMania weekend, right? It's the Hall of Fame after SmackDown. Well, yeah, there you go. Now, is that on? That's not on Fox. No, it can't be. It I well, so it's going to be on Peacock. I, I assume I like when you say peacock as a question. It's kind of peacock. Funny. Peacock. Yeah, peacock. It peacock. Like a peacock. <laughs> Is it on peacock? <laughs> peacock. Uh, I believe oh, it'll be there. Yes. Bitch, it lives about three or four houses down from me. Has a goddamn rooster now. I'll have you know. Because every day I go out in the garage and open up the garage door, take Harley out or whatever. And I hear that goddamn rooster crowing, and I can tell the direction it's coming from. It's it, it's it, I, it's one of two properties. It's would be over there raising the cocks. It's a smart move. You get your property pharmacist. What, what he doesn't need a pharmacist. He's got a rooster. Pharmacist, save on your taxes. How does a pharmacist save you on your taxes? Is oh he is God. he as well as dispensing drugs? Is he also doing income tax returns? I take mine over to H&R Farquhar. They're a good firm over here that I can turn you on to if you want. All right. Anyway, so Cody <laughs> responded to Paul Heyman. He, he said, Paul said, You're lucky you never did this around Vince. That would have been it. We've never had a peacock. <laughs> so anyway, Cody responded to Paulie and fired up and got the people behind him and told Paul off. And a good, strong promotion for the, it's the last Raw before WrestleMania, the 30 minutes into the show, and it's all been promotion for the main event. So excellent broadcast so far. Any comments on the interview? Really liked it. I'm starting to really dig Solo. You know, at first when he came up and when we saw him in NXT, I don't know why he appeared younger. Now he looks kind of, I buy him a little more as the badass of the family or the ruffian of the family. I don't know what exactly, they're all. The ruffian. I don't know what. (laughs) He's, uh, He's there and he's tough and I buy it. And I think he's been pretty good the last week because this match they're going to have on Raw, they started last week building up on Raw, so we get a full week out of this. I've heard that most of the Samoans are just pussycats and teddy bears, but that every once in a while you will find a ruffian. Do you remember that was Scott Cornish's question years ago? Everyone you talk to says Haku is the sweetest, nicest, most wonderful man in the world. Yet the other <laughs> stories we hear are that he bites people's noses off and <laughs> eats their faces. Why do so many people seem to bother this wonderfully nice, sweet man every time he's at the bar? <laughs> He went from handing out milk duds to the kids to then he took the man's nose. (laughs) All right. So anyway, um, and then I, I, I'm a fan of Charlotte's work, but Charlotte came out to do an in-ring promo again, last raw before WrestleMania. She's a 14 time world or SmackDown rather. I'm sorry. Well, and it's not really the last, there's another one, but you know what I was, I was getting on that. I'm just in a time warp. We're getting down to WrestleMania time, so more promotion for WrestleMania, but it this is feeling like WWE scripted 
you know, I wish they'd every once in a while let her talk from the heart. But when she talks from the heart, she's that wonderful heel. And it's, I don't know. It was just, it, it, I kind of zoned out. Were you in the zone? I think Charlotte is great in the ring, specifically as a heel. I've been pretty vocal. I've not, I've not enjoyed. I've not thought this is really well done. The her as a babyface here, it feels really forced. And remember, you shit all over me when she was such a great babyface. I said because she's in South Carolina that one week, and the people were yeah, she had flair country, and she felt that, and and got that, and then but not just as a general rule. And you know what? The promos have been kind of the biggest problem in the Charlotte Rhea program, even more than Charlotte being maybe miscast as a babyface. Because Rhea did a real stale promo on Raw, and it's coming across as insincere as Charlotte's promos. Yeah, it's... It, although, Rhea delivers, although Rhea delivers the material, I think, better. Well, yeah, she delivers the material better, but it doesn't sound like material that she would say if it was really her. You know, that's that's the problem is I think they're just writing this shit for these young ladies and they're trying to do a good job of delivering it instead of saying, you know what, how about we be mad about something people might be interested in? But nevertheless, speaking of things that people might be interested in, poor old beleaguered L.A. Knight. I see him matched up with Rey Mysterio coming up next and I'm thinking, holy shit, they're going to beat him again. But again, people are, you know, somewhat responding to him, even though that he's been beaten with a stick repeatedly and made to go stand in the corner and had his nose rubbed and shit for whatever reason. But in in this case, and of course they went again under three minutes, the match gets started and they go under three minutes as usual, but Dominic comes out and distracts Mysterio and L.A. knocks him off the top rope. We go to the, the break. We've got some heat going. And that's the thing. Ray likes to sell because when you look at Ray Mysterio versus El Hijo del Vikingo, Ray Mysterio's got more expression on his face and he's wearing a mask than the other guy did showing us his face. Because... He, his body language, he likes to sell, and his body language, and you can feel it, and you can see it in the way that he moves. And in most of his matches, the bigger, the, the opponent's always bigger. They get heat on him, and then he plausibly figures out a way to escape or use his quickness or, or whatever and surprise you and get his few signature moves in that people love to see. But he does big versus little because that's what he's had to do all of his career. And he's he's got that. And he's got a better physique than Ihiho del Vikingo. So again, there's a size difference, but there were and LA Knight understands himself and how to work. And there's a size difference, but they're making it nobody's going through goddamn tables and doing these. 100 and fucking, well, not even 180, 300, not even 360, 720 degree fucking cannonball moves through furniture off of the top rope that both, you know, look spectacular and will lead to 
your fucking paralyzation and nobody remembers the goddamn shit a week later. So they had a nice little match. They didn't, you know, this wasn't the main event, as they say, of Starcade 86, but finally Ray goes for a 619 and Dom trips him coming off the ropes. And as he turns around, LA schoolboys him one, two, three, LA night wins, LA night wins. And it's Rey Mysterio, for God's sake. Imagine that. And as much as fans like Rey Mysterio, you could hear a pop when LA Knight got the victory. People yeah, actually want it, him to get yeah. a win. <laughs> it's, it's like, you know, Cinderella story out of nowhere. So, I mean, before we go any further, what did you think of the match, if anything different? Really good match. And when you're looking for things outside of the bloodline, Cody Angle, to enjoy on the show, L.A. Knight, despite his usage, despite being in matches with people sometimes you don't want to watch, has been one of the highlights of WWE. Nice to see him get a win. Hopefully this means something. That's what I thought coming out of this. Hopefully that's it. Like Austin Theory, for like a year, you and I were like, what the <laughs> hell is going on? Whose daughter did he sleep with? What is going on here? And then it changed, somewhat. Maybe... <laughs> Maybe with LA Knight, maybe he's paid his weird WWE dues, whatever you want to call it, and maybe they'll use him to the level that he has already shown that he can go to and the people are reacting to him at. So I saw it as a sign of hope. Well, then, by cracky, you know this was coming up because Dominic's out there and, and again, he's getting all over his dad. And, you know, I haven't... Like, ah. The father-son thing and the weird visual and everything. I you've been interested. I'm like I like I like Dominic and I like Ray, just not necessarily with each other. But at least, as Mama Cornette used to say, "Shit or get off the pot." They finally shit and got off the pot. Uh, Ray walked off on him again, but this time uh, Ray's wife and his daughter, Dominic's sister, are in the. Uh, in the front row. I wish it had been Mother's Day, whereas they just happened to be there. But nevertheless. Well, they like to gamble. Maybe they were in Vegas to uh, play, well, the, yeah. play the slots. Hey they're, hey, they're hanging out at the Bunny Ranch for the fucking week. Hey, come on. Will you be nice? I'm just... Well, hey, they could be customers. Well, that's true. That is actually true. A free fucking country. Especially that's out what, there in Nevada, yeah. There <laughs> you go. a big wild country out there. So anyway, but finally, Dominic starts cutting a promo on his mother. And, and how does it feel? You're a deadbeat mom like he's a deadbeat dad. And the sister stands up and gets hot. And Dominic tells it, hey, you're stupid. You're <laughs> shut up. You're stupid. Don't be stupid. And then the mother stands up and grabs the microphone and says, Dominic, and he snatches it right back and gets a pop from that, like, ooh. And he tells his mother to shut up. <laughs> <laughs> and in here, finally, Ray comes back over and winds up and boom and blisters him and knocks him on his ass. And Big pop. And Big pop. Huge pop. Huge pop. They've been waiting for that. And grabs a microphone and, say, and finally says he will fight him. But the only thing I didn't like was that Dominic stayed on his ass and had his hand up like he was petrified. I would have fucking at least roll over to your knees, beg a little bit more, you know, but he was just kind of frozen. But 
Uh, he will fight him at WrestleMania. So I will, we'll see what that looks like then. Oh my God. I love this. This was tremendous. <laughs> I told you the other day, I love that promo we did where he talked about getting kicked out of the group chat, how unhappy he was. They did a series of videos where him and Rhea would show up at family functions leading to arrests. Like they've done so many things to make this guy who a year ago we were like, is this guy have a future in wrestling? It doesn't really seem to be working as just a nice little baby face son. Yeah. Look at him now. He's the perfect wimp. I mean, we've seen this kind of character in a sense before, like the Stevie Richards or whatever you want to call it, the wimp underhand. Well, it's, it's, it's chicken shit heel, basically, at the root of it. That was the wrestling term in the territory days. You're not a monster heel or you're not a wrestling heel or, you know, you're like Nick Bockwinkle. You're a chicken shit heel. And you get the heat by being a coward and then being vicious on offense and cheating and lying and et cetera. This chicken shit heel who talks about his tough stay in prison was out there and they <laughs> shot it perfectly and the crowd reactions were so good for everything of this. When he called his sister stupid, that was the first one. It's like, ooh. And then when he told his mom to shut up, that's when like the crowd was buzzing because they knew that's it. Like, there's no way. Because you see Ray in the distance and his face is on the big screen. So if you were in the building, Dom wasn't on the big screen. Ray's face watching them was on the big screen. And then Ray comes over. The only thing I thought, and maybe they were scared how it would come out, I didn't think they got a good shot of the punch. You just kind of see behind Dominic and he falls. Yeah. Well, it just that's kind of where the the camera was at that point. And I think maybe he turned a different way than they'd blocked or whatever, but nevertheless. But how many monster pops have we heard in WWE in the last two months? Every well, they've got everything peaking. Everything it's all working right now is coming up for, you know, and they've been, they had patience to not only build this for a while, but continue to sweeten things up every week. So you didn't forget about it. And that's, you know, another thing that the other channel, they'll do three or four weeks worth of shit in one night. And then you won't see none of those some bitches for six weeks. So anyway, Ray versus Dominic. And we're going to preview these matches when we get done here because we're almost through this thing. Um, did you love Shotzi and Natalia against Lacey Evans and Zia Lee? There was no way I was going to watch this. <laughs> There's just no way. Did you watch when Ronda and Shayna came out for their promo? In the background a little bit. It was as flat as a plate full of piss. It was like they were both cruising on Lake Havasoma. They could just give a shit. Oh, well, yeah, yeah, we sold this place out. Yeah. One of my kids thought Shayna Baszler was Bailey's like evil sister. <laughs> Next time you see Shayna Baszler, tell me you don't see it. Because now that's all I see. But wait a minute. That means that Bailey's real name is Bailey Baszler. Ooh, see, that's good. I didn't even think about that yeah. aspect of it. Interesting. Interesting. Bailey Baszler. <laughs> and and if she gets in a fight, we could call her battling Bailey Baszler. There we go. There's a new gimmick after she's done with uh the talk show host or whatever this is. Anyway, um they had another contract signing <clears throat> for the Intercontinental title match, the triple threat that they've done with Seamus and Drew and Gunther. And you know, like I said, I'd love to see Gunther in a match against either one of those guys, probably 
Drew at this point, because we just saw Seamus give Drew a chance. But I don't want to see the triple threat, and I didn't particularly want to see the goddamn contract signing. And it's just, it's muddied the thing. And then Butch jumped on Gunther in the contract signing, and they just went to break. That was the highlight of the whole thing, was just they actually were consistent with Butch's character of just being, I don't know, he has rabies? I don't know what his thing is, and he just <laughs> goes crazy. So I like that. Uh, but then they could give him a shot for that or something, or put him down, perhaps, if he's a danger to others. So it was Gunther and Butch, and they had a match, and then for the finish of it, Seamus and Drew got into a fight on the floor, and Gunther beat Butch with his finish, and then Drew, uh, uh, Gunther and Seamus were face-to-face, and Drew tried to, Claymore Seamus, but he moved and he knocked out Gunther instead and then blah, blah, blah. Where was his sword? Hopefully they don't bring that back. Remember when that fucking thing was exposed to be fake? (laughs) When they did the fucking thing? day one? (laughs) Well, but I mean, especially bad when they did the thing with the ropes and the ropes didn't work and Anyway, now we come to the main event of SmackDown. And boy, you know, this is going to be a big match. Oh, no, wait, it's not a match because it's SmackDown. The KO show with Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn. And I've loved everything that they've done with this so far. I think this was kind of, it was just, as Kevin Sullivan used to say, it was a maintenance angle. Just kind of kept things going and, you know, that we're already going to begin with. And you got 10 minutes out of it to entertain the people. But they basically just bickered about whether they should have come out separate or together doing their little comedic byplay. And then and Owen's joking about Sammy being more over than him. And then they did the thing where they bonded again and exchanged or didn't exchange, but. Owens gave Sammy his new gift t-shirt, which wasn't KO mania, but WrestleZania. And they hugged and the Usos jumped him and beat Sammy up and Owens managed to chase him off with a chair. So it was kind of like, yeah, we got to get him on and we got to freshen it up, but we don't really need to do anything else. So let's just kind of do something to get us back to where we were. What'd you think? And again, no Roman on this episode. So they yeah. do what they can to kind of fill in that big gap. It was all right. I'm not a big fan of these talk show in the ring, talk shows, whatever you want to call them. Damn you, Roddy Piper. His wasn't in oh, the ring. darn you. But no, but that's the thing because he got it over. Now, 40 years later, they think every wrestler in the WWF ought to have a fucking talk show just for no apparent reason. I don't know what it was. Maybe a little under a year and a half ago, we were talking about, is Kevin Owens going to re-sign with WWE or go to AEW? I think he made the right decision. Boy, howdy, did he. I'll tell you what. Um, it, and really, you know, we said at the time he could go and play with his former friends, but for that amount of money that this company that is still going to be the number one company regardless of whether Tony ever gets his shit together or not, um, if he if they were offering him that much, he might be better off sticking around. But uh, I think this, you know, if, whether or not they are the main event on 
uh, night one of WrestleMania, uh, the Usos and Kevin and Sammy, I mean, it's going to be hard to beat whatever kind of fucking pops they're going to get on that thing because it's the, you know, extended bloodline angle. And that's what everybody's interested in. Hey, you're um, Sammy. Made me think of something. Sammy. If you were Sammy Guevara, you think it's a little difficult right now that one of the top stars, if not the biggest <laughs> baby face in wrestling, is named Sammy? <laughs> Sammy, Sammy, I love when you fall down each Saturday night on my TV. All right, it was about Chevy, but I guess you could apply it to Sammy. It fits, it fits. Oh, but Sammy, you've got such a slappable face. I wish that you were falling, falling for me. Well, that was SmackDown. It sure was. So uh, let me ask you this, young Brian. Do you have the, uh, immediately, obviously, you could just go to WWE.com and they've got the entire list of matches that have been announced for WrestleMania right there on the front page where everybody can see what they are, right? I will find out right now. I'm at WWE.com. The whole lot of pop-up for biography, WWE Legends, new episode tonight. When's the Iron Sheik episode? I want to see that. Uh, I don't know, but we're get, we're getting another another odd couple instead of a two hour. We're getting another two one hour episode. Wasn't it great that Sor- Soraya got an hour biography? She's not been alive half as long as Jerry Lawler. Lawler got an hour biography. He's been in the business fifty years, but nevertheless, well, she's also had more scandals in her period of time than he has in all those years, and he had a lot. So what does that uh, say? Boy, howdy! I'm- you know what? Maybe they should have done the biographies about that. But nevertheless, your information. Well, actually, if you go to WWE.com, the first thing that pops up is the Uso savagely assaulted Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn on SmackDown with the SmackDown results. And then more about SmackDown. There's trending WWE news, uh-huh. including Rey Mysterio will look to teach his son Dominic some respect at WrestleMania, but there's not a concerted WrestleMania tab that I'm seeing. So the biggest event of the year that they want people to watch on Peacock. Peacock. Now there's a tab for that. There's a tab for Peacock. But well, it doesn't the, have anything to do with WrestleMania on here. But that's the, the they're not they're not telling us what's going on as the as their main priority on their globally viewed website. Where are we going to get this information now on what the matches are? They used to pound home what those matches on those pay-per-views were going to be for a month. <laughs> of course, yes. I, the Vince used to pound us to make sure we used to have the date of each week's television where a specific match was going to be announced in our books alongside that match. And if everything wasn't announced within, you know, two or three, maybe three weeks out, Vince was having a fucking cow. Well, Jim, I have found some matches on Wikipedia. We, we got to go to Wikipedia We're to look Wikipedia. up the card. For Well, I hope the new owners will take this into consideration. Well, there are a couple matches that have been specified, apparently, for a specific night, and there's a lot with night to be determined. Let's go with those first. For the SmackDown Women's Championship, the champion, Charlotte Flair versus Rhea Ripley. Boy, howdy, they need to be switching a lot of titles. A lot of belts need to be falling this weekend because I really think Rhea needs to win this, don't you? 
I think so. She lost to Charlotte the last time they wrestled at WrestleMania, and I think all the momentum right now is with Rhea. I think a loss yeah. would actually hurt her. So, uh, you know, uh, I, I, I don't really see any reason that they wouldn't be putting it on her, and I don't really see any, you know, other alternative or why you would want to try to elongate that when the when the time is now. So let's let's go with Rhea Ripley. For the WWE Raw Women's Championship, the champion Bianca Belair versus Asuka. Let's go with I don't care. I don't care. I don't care if that Oscar gets the electric chair. Because I don't want to see her and I don't want to be here and I don't want her to beat Belair. All right, I'm going to pick Bianca Belair. <laughs> Our next match, Jim. Brock Lesnar versus Omos or Omos with MVP. Okay, well, obviously, in, in any kind of sane universe, you would not beat Brock Lesnar with, I mean, let, uh, almost is never going to be Andre the Giant. And I don't think in this day and age that, you know, it's, it's going to work. He's huge. And maybe as a giant bodyguard or tag team partner, but when he's in there by himself, it don't need to be long and it don't need to be much. So having said that, it wasn't Brock going around and saying goodbye, uh, uh, telling people he might be finishing up, or was that a negotiating tactic? When they told him he was going to work with Bray. <laughs> well, I was about to say, was, or was that when they told him he was going to work with Bray Wyatt? And he was like, well, I guess I won't be around much longer. I, I think if Brock is staying, or and not staying because he's barely there to begin with, but if Brock is going to continue to wrestle in the WWE, there's a 100% chance he will beat almost. If Brock is not going to, then in some way or another, they may get him to do uh, something for this giant fellow. I think they got to get Lashley involved just to finish up everything him and Brock had going on for a while. But well, yeah, and, and, and poor Bobby's got to be insulted because first, Wyatt picks fucking Brock as the guy he wants to work with, and Brock says, fuck you. So there's going to be Bray and Lashley, and now Bray takes his ball and goes home. I think Lashley's going to feel, what have I got, halitosis? Can you imagine you're Lashley, you're told you're going to work with Bray, and you're like, uh, all right. And then they come to you like, listen, the ideas were way too crazy. We can't even do it. <laughs> <laughs> but Jim, the next match, a triple threat match for the WWE Intercontinental Championship of the Intercontinents. The champion, Gunther, versus Sheamus, versus Drew McIntyre. Well, they probably won't do this, but if it was me... I would start Gunther right now, or not right now, he's already had the title, but I would have the idea right now to make him the next Roman Reigns level reigning champion with the Intercontinental title. Like Dusty said one time to me and the Midnight Express, the U.S. tag title, it's, it's part of your ring gear, baby, the belts are yours. And just make, he can work with anybody. I would leave that thing on him and let him just be over. And at that point, in another, what, year or 14 months or whatever, 
then you've got another long-term reign that means something like Roman Reigns has, but at least with the Intercontinental title to where some major name that was either just coming out of the main event world title picture or maybe even still in it, maybe you have some type of fucking showdown between them and it, it starts elevating that belt and in the meantime, it gives Gunther something to brag about. He wrestles a wide variety of opponents, and he gets a lot of wins because that that's how you build a fucking top guy. And then Gunther, after a run like that, could instantly move into the main event picture with a Roman Reigns or if Brock is still around or whoever the fuck the main event people are going to be in a year and a half. If they're not in the you know, Sunnydale rest home or signed up to AARP. I agree with you. You know, the intercontinental title itself has needed repair for 25 years, even though some great wrestlers have held it. It has flipped so many times. It means nothing. So having someone hold it for so long, you reestablish it. Guthrie's been great. I think he drops it to Braun Breaker or someone, and then you move him up to Cody. There you go. There you go. But anyway, the next match. The next match. Trish Stratus, Lita, and Becky Lynch versus the team of Damage Control comprised of Bailey, Dakota Kai, and EO Sky. You know, honestly, I will try if uh, if the shows don't go six hours each night, I will try to give that match some attention for uh, just to see how Lita and Trish are looking, and because of Becky and Bailey, I mean the 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 backup they have given her. Not only these two girls are so tiny, but they're also they were plucked straight out of the middle card. You're talking about at one point the most popular attraction, male or female, in the company, Becky Lynch, a few years ago, and two Hall of Fame-level, you know, females against, you know, Bailey's done great, and uh, there's two girls from the middle of the card. I don't, I don't see them a threat to anybody. Do you? I'm not looking forward to this match personally, but I'm sure there are lots of fans who are. Jim, in a Hell in a Cell match, Edge versus Finn Balor. Again, I like Edge. I just, I don't know about Finn. Finn, Finn, Finn. Um, Finn Balor was great, or has been great many times in the past, obviously. But great, a great technician, a great worker. He was the great fucking, uh, you know, technical guy and a baby face. We remember when he was Prince Devitt. And I just don't see him as part of the evil, you know, goth-looking judgment day of Dominic and Priest and Ripley. He, he, it doesn't fit. It looks odd to me. It looks like one of the Osmonds joined the Jackson 5. And for that, I don't see him in a in a hell in a cell match, <laughs> like he's fucking Bulldog Brower, or some fucking crazed drooling maniac. 
I maybe it's just, but I like Edge. So there you go. Yeah, I'm and only... I mean, can can Edge lose a Hell in a Cell to Finn Balor at WrestleMania? Would that just make the people in a bad mood? I hope Edge wins, and I hope they end this thing with him in the Judgment Day. But I have not enjoyed anything with Edge in a while, and I'm not looking forward to this match either. But it's not because of Finn Balor. I'm just sick of Edge. Well, just gloom and doom over the top of your head. Is it goddamn raining cat piss? Well, our next match, Jim, in a women's WrestleMania showcase fatal four-way tag team match. Oh, boy. Sponsored by bathroombreak.com. <laughs> Liv Morgan and Raquel Rodriguez versus Natalia and Shotzi versus Ronda Rousey and Shayna Baszler versus a team yet to be announced. I am going to be testing the theory that West Shore Home can replace my bathtub or shower during the course of that match. Well, of course, Jim, West Shore Home has fine showcases, and our next match, the Men's WrestleMania Showcase Fatal 4-Way Tag Team Match. Oh, God damn it. Braun Strowman and Ricochet versus the Street Profits versus Alpha Academy versus the Viking Raiders. I got two bathrooms in my house. I'm going to see if West Shore Home can do both of them during the course of those two matches. In a match for the undisputed WWE Tag Team Championship, the champions, the Usos, Jimmy and Jay, versus Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn. As far as... I mean, this is definitely going to be one of the the most over matches, the most of the people most interested in it. We're definitely going to watch it as far as trying to predict the winner. Boy, like I said, if all of the big belts change hands, um, that's, you know, that's a lot of belts changing hands in one weekend. They made it for the title. So therefore I, you can't, I don't think they can beat. Owens and Sammy at this particular point, they can get heat on them afterwards, but I don't think they can fuck them. I think that will be such a downer. That's why I had thought maybe, you know, just make a grudge match of some description and put Kevin and Sammy over in a fight, but you've left the tag title situation to be unresolved to another day. But I think, Sammy and Kevin got a win, but again, they've got this all worked out. So something will need to come of it that plays into where the bloodline go after, which we're probably going to find out on the Monday of, you know, Monday night raw after the Sunday night, because I think they've got to give us some clue at that point of where the bloodline goes. I think Sammy and Kevin have to get their monster WrestleMania pop here, and I think we need to go into Raw with all the bloodline having no belts, because there's the story. Yeah. Jim, Rey Mysterio versus Dominic Mysterio. Boy, oh boy. Um, Call me crazy, I think they got to put Dominic over, don't they? Well, side question, will it kill Dominic's career if he tapped out to his dad spanking him? In the ring. <laughs> if the finish was his dad finally, like, he takes a few bumps for his mom and his sister, and then his dad just starts <laughs> spanking him, and he taps out. 
Okay, unless that's the finish, I say Dominic needs to go over. But but if that's the finish, I will fucking buy that, and I'll I'll buy you a drink. Oh, thank you very much. I'll have a Sprite Zero on the rocks. There you go, baby. Jim announced for night one. Seth Franklin Rollins versus Logan Paul. I'm going to, again, we're going to love this because it, good old Seth Franklin is very athletic and he can work with a lot of different people. And so it's it, it, we've talked about Logan Paul being a prodigy. He's still green. He's had two matches or three matches or whatever it is. So I don't care how good you are. Kurt Angle wasn't that good. But the, he can do a lot of shit, and he gets the idea, the concept of the wrestling business. So with Seth, I think even though I've liked uh, uh, most of Logan Paul's interviews because he genuinely comes off as a dick, we don't know what Seth is doing with the God did the dancing and the gyrating and the cackling and the, yeah, and the machine gun fucking Daffy Duck bullshit. But in the in the ring, this is going to be good. So I'm going to look forward to this is one of the ones I'm looking forward to. And uh, I Seth may need to win this one, too. I You know, because it's, it's WrestleMania most time. But the the baby faces over at the big show was always the the uh, M.O., but uh, I I don't know that Seth can put Logan... Well, it depends on how often Logan Paul's going to be back, but I'm going with Seth winning. I think Seth has to win because I'm going with the idea Logan Paul's not going to be a regular right out of Mania, and also Seth just got knocked out twice. Yeah. He's, he's got to get a win out of that. Yeah. And he's going to thank us one day when he takes Tony's money and he can call himself Franklin. You're welcome. <laughs> Jim, also for night one... For the United States Championship, the champion Austin Theory versus John Cena. Okay. Um, God damn it. Here's the thing. We don't know how much Cena has agreed to do going forward. So is this the match or is this the start of something that will culminate in another match between these two? So I'm going to... Again, qualify my response. If this is the only time that Cena's wrestling or the only time that Cena's wrestling Austin Theory, uh, or, you know, he's maybe he comes back, you know, later on this year for another appearance, but it, uh, unless they're starting something of an ongoing nature between these two, I think Theory needs to win this. And, and also, unless... It's for the U.S. title. Yes, they could do some kind of bullshit disqualification, but I don't think that helps anybody, and I don't know that John would want to be involved in a match where the finish is just, ah, uh, everybody, meh. So if it's a one-time only, especially, uh, you know, a theory needs to win, but if it's, if more is going to come of it, then I can see them doing something, obviously, where Cena would go over. For night two, already announced, Jim, the main event. For the undisputed WWE Universal Champion! <laughs> the champion, Roman Reigns, with Paul Heyman versus Cody Rhodes. Don't pop your stitches there now, chicken wing. <laughs> um, Cody's got to, he has to, doesn't he? Again, and just like you said, the story has to be bloodline showing up with no belts, but some plan for revenge. But the, of anything, Cody's got to win this, uh, the win the belt at that point, or this 
the whole story gets muddy and it's, it's again, you know, some people might say, well, but there needs to be more trials and tribulations and up and down. There's more to the story to be written. Hey, the story's getting a little longer and longer and war is long as war and peace here at this point. We need to go ahead and get to the end of it. And then let's start a new story with the same characters. So I think Cody's going to win the fucking thing. I think they probably realize that also with this build it would be very deflating for everybody's spirit if it didn't happen like everybody mostly wants it to happen. This is the main event of night two. I think we're going to see Cody win. I think we're going to see fireworks. I think we're going to see Brandy and the baby hugging him. I think we're going to see a celebration. And I think we're going to go into Raw wondering what the hell's going on with the bloodline. It's perfect. Well, remember WrestleMania, we had the... the uh... Goddamn balloons, or SummerSlam, rather, had the balloons come down and the and the marching band played and they That's celebrated true. anyway for poor old Lex as he stood there. But Lex never tattooed his logo on his neck. He's not as committed as Cody is. That's that's true. That's true. And Vince should have been committed for that whole thing. <laughs> well, there it is. Anyway. What is already announced for WrestleMania. Obviously, if The Rock feels like he needs an ego boost, he'll show up. And just waved everyone, but that's WrestleMania. Whose show is this? This is your show, thank oh, you. Oh shit! Okay, well I gotta wind it up, right? Okay, well let's tell the people what we're doing real, real quick here. Um, we're gonna come back in a couple of days from the time you first hear this with the drive-through, which is your program, and then we're gonna record a lot over the WrestleMania weekend and few days afterwards. So some things. Uh, that we talk about in whatever it may go up on YouTube first before the finished podcast. Um, but everybody's going to hear everything eventually. Is that right? That is correct. And because we're going to be doing a lot of recording WrestleMania weekend, because there's two nights of mania and who knows what else will happen that weekend. And the, and the Friday night SmackDown and the hall of fame, who knows, maybe someone will jump in there and try to tackle uh, whoever's going in. So there's a lot going on. There will be content coming up on the YouTube channel. And the experience in the drive-thru will have that same content. But possibly at different times. That is correct. Just listen to everything, and that way you won't miss a thing. Consume. Consume. Because I don't want to miss a thing. And we don't want to miss oh, you, so stop we'll get singing. We, you know, people love it. No, they don't. People they hate it. it. They, they complain. They say they're going to rip their ears out of their head. Well, see, your ears technically are already out of your head. They're on the side of your head, not inside your head. Unless, of course, you're talking about poor old cousin Droop Lip. He did have a problem with his ears also. But anyway, folks, just consume everything. And until next time, for whatever we do, thank you, fuck you, and bye-bye, everybody. Wednesday nights I get to stay up late Which Kenny Omega while I masturbate Hey mom, I need to watch the show Meltzer says I'm in the key demo Meltzer says I'm in the key demo Star